Hello. Uh, welcome to episode 19 of Red River Podcast. And uh, Parker Langan, what's going on, guys? Hey, man. What's up, bro? How so, are you? I'm um, fantastic. Um, today we have uh, Frank Sabatella from Sideshow Pictures. Can we yep. say that? You can Wait? totally say that. Definitely. Mm. Let's say that. So, let's say um, that. so I think I feel like we're going to talk a shitload about horror. I know we, we did a bunch off mic. Um, so definitely thanks for coming down and doing it. Um, My pleasure. So we were talking upstairs about you're either a Freddy guy, a Michael guy, or a Jason guy. And yeah. I'll throw a leather face in there because we're going to do the big four. The big four. Yeah. yeah, the big four. So basically you told us – tell me what you told me upstairs, why you have an issue with the Halloween movies. <laughs> Shots fired right off the yeah, bat. Yeah, first of all, <laughs> just, just tell me – I thought we were only talking about anything controversial. <laughs> <laughs> no. So you said Halloween 3 is your favorite. Halloween three is my favorite of the Halloween films. Yeah. Okay. And then sure. from there, you were talking about the like the lineage and shit. I I just feel the um, the Michael Myers let's call it mythology storyline is just kind of messy, and it's a little all over the place. So for me, it just there's like no flow to the films in and of that aspect itself. And on top of that, I just don't find them as exciting as the Friday the Thirteenth films. Even the first two. Even the first two. Um, did you watch them as a kid? I did. Okay. I did. Um, now, uh, this may be a factor. I saw Friday the 13th first. Okay. So it's certainly my first love. Right. Um, but I feel if you take uh, Halloween 1, which is 100% awesome. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to get my ass kicked. But <laughs> uh, I think Halloween versus Friday the 13th part 1, I think Friday the 13th on a lot of levels is the better film in my opinion i think the the coloring of the like i from from so many levels the coloring of the film looks better to me just from the 1980 to the 78 right the the first two right yeah yeah um right part one versus part one friday 13th is just a better colored film in my opinion the the build-up of the story in my opinion is better i have i have a lot of issues with michael myers in the first film where to me, there's certain things that are kind of goofy, uh, like him stealing a station wagon, and he's like in plain sight, driving around in a station wagon, <laughs> stopping at stop signs in a few scenes. So I, have a sh- me, I, have, I have a shirt that so, says... So to yeah. me, you know, it's interesting that you're in the suburbs in the daylight, and that's kind of creepy. <laughs> However, just the, the impending dread of like being in the woods at night, somebody's stalking, watching. And I understand that without any Halloween, there probably would never have been a Friday the 13th. Yeah, maybe. Um, and, and and going like you're talking about being like a Friday the Thirteenth fan, and and I'll just touch on this briefly because I will get to it later. But like watching your movie Blood Night, yeah. Um, I really got like a Friday the Thirteenth Part Four vibe. Yeah, like it great. very much. Um, I appreciate that. out of like the two. Like I'm like yeah, this this is def- I felt that influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and strongly uh, influenced by Friday the Thirteenth. Cool, 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 there, cool. There's a lot of like really hidden Friday the Thirteenth references also in Blood Night. Okay, very um, cool. So now uh, we compared those first two, um, and then the sequel. What would you think of the sequel? I, what I liked about Halloween it, Two versus ha- Friday Two. Yeah, I, I just like the continuation. Yeah, for Halloween Two. Totally cool. I agree. That is that is cool. But I just feel the overall film. Again, you're put into this sort of unreality that I have a hard time 
suspending my disbelief, like a completely empty hospital. There's eight people in that hospital for the entire night. Which doesn't make <laughs> sense. I've asked that question. Too. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it just doesn't make sense. And two of them are you, not like the hot. If you've tub. ever been in a hospital, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> two of them are in a hot tub. Just Chick is so sense. hot. Especially you know, there's just been like a bunch of murders, and it's the same night. Like, yeah. All these people were just murdered. It's yeah. like where is everybody? That reminds me of like I was the, stressed out needing the night off. Man. Maybe they were doing yeah, like food yeah, shopping yeah. Friday or something. Maybe it was the eighties. Uh, Costco. Yeah, it was the eighties <laughs> because it was like I remember it Cobra. Was the eighties? Cobra. <laughs> like I remember when like that dude was like following Brigitte Nielsen through the hospital. There was like no one there till they rang the alarm, and like then like a hundred people came out of the hallway. You don't know what kind of budget that hospital works on. Right. They might have to you know right, cut right. staff at night. Uh, in the middle this of the was night. this was the Reagan years. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know know what that's a good point Loomis was there <laughs> yeah, Loomis was there um all right so definitely okay so out of the four for me myself like I'm a huge Halloween fan but number two would definitely be Friday the 13th and like I get what you're saying because like later on I think one and two are very standalone to me very standalone and, I would agree and, and, if and those, obviously three is a standalone absolutely we're talking about and then after that it's all, all bets are off it's right. like just something that I feel like I don't know behind the scenes. Like maybe there was just I'm sure, you know, some people, some producers took it one way. And I know when Jamie Lee got her hands on like seven, she was like, all right, I'm just going to make a direct sequel. And then from there, everything is just like crisscrossing. I like yeah. what they were trying to do with six, which you never saw. I've never seen part six, which was like correct, completely like they were trying to do something. And then Donald Pleasance dies on them. Mm. You know, so I also they her. they didn't cast Daniel Harris in six either, right? She, no, somebody no, else played her no. part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're gonna when you get into the later films of either of those series, you're gonna find a lot of hit or misses. I There's think. There's no Friday the Thirteenth with Buster Rhymes in it. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> or Yo, LL. First of or all, Buster Rhymes. Listen, the guy was on Scenario. <laughs> You know there's, what I'm saying? There's like, no hip hop. Totally. There's no hip hop Friday the Thirteenth. Uniondale represent isn't though. There's no not one. There's there's there is Wait. this kind of badass the, rap in part eight and Jason takes Manhattan. Yes, <laughs> you know yeah. which part was it when it wasn't even Jason? Five, five. You got it. Yes. <laughs> give me that one, man. No, I'll give it to you. But yeah. I'll tell you, five what, had great nudity though. I, I was just gonna say it's part got five, elements. Part but at five, the end, you weren't like, listen, oh, listen, come on. No, part five, no, one hundred percent. You're like, ah, you did. Yeah. However. <laughs> Part five is like the sleaziest of the series. It's like the most kills. That's your buddy. That's Elana. Elana. <laughs> the most nudity. Right. And uh, it's just like there's part five. If you can, if you ever have the pleasure of watching part five yeah. in a theater with an audience sure. that knows the movie, right? you'll be like, this is the greatest Friday the 13th ever. Because it's just so absurd and fun and you know, weird. It's probably the know? same problems I had with part three of Halloween when I first saw it when, when I was I younger. When I first saw it. As I matured as a viewer, like I understood. Don't the movie get me wrong. Like, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five is not necessarily a good film, right? But there's like these, like you can take elements that you can look at now and be like, "This is really cool." Like there's, uh, you know, Reggie the Reckless. The little, mm -hmm. the character is Shavar Ross, who's Dudley from Different Strokes, mm -hmm. and, oh, yeah. and he's just this like little badass kid throughout the whole film. Then you have his the brother. The Tommy oh, his brother's Jordan. awesome. Oh, yeah, right. The enchiladas. Uh, yeah, those uh, damn enchiladas. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. The film um, was good. It was just I'm, I'm going to have to be the dick and just point that mic. Point that mic to his mouth. 
just because I know in editing. I knew I was going to screw everything. It'll be like annoying in editing. <laughs> I asked you the rules before we started. Yeah. You're like, hey, this is easy, man. Yeah. <laughs> and now I blew it. No. We need we need to get one of those like uh, Don Henley mics or like Phil Collins like with that. the nice. <laughs> play drums. Actually, you could do it behind the drums. There you go. There. there you go. <laughs> um, also in part five, you have what's what's critical to part five is the continuation of the Tommy Jarvis storyline, mm-hmm. which bridges the gap between four and six. Sure. It's nice that they kept his character straight through. I'd which, say there's more continuity overall. Yeah, there's more continuity yeah. to the Friday the 13th films up until part seven. Yeah, They, they all hit a wall. They did the right. same thing with like Halloween 2 into 4. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and they both... We're trying to like get away from that, you know. With Halloween, do you think Halloween three is better than uh, Friday the Thirteenth five? Um, I I generally don't compare the two because the, like Halloween three is not a slasher film. What What if you were like on a desert island and they asked <laughs> you like you, you were like Who a, asked? A, you, yeah. <laughs> the desert oh. Trump the people that are condemn <laughs> the people that are condemning me to the desert island. <laughs> we will yeah. ask you one question exactly. Like, what if you were about to get your like you know like a boot in your ass and kicked out onto the island, and they were like, "All right, real quick, what movie do you want?" And you only had time to like grab one because your hang your <laughs> other of the two yeah or is it like from any movie no. <laughs> like, this, we have this... halloween three and friday the 13th they're already five. kicking you off yeah. you you asked, only, this guy has too many questions you can only take <laughs> one this plane only has two movies and you could only turn around and grab one because of the v the look VCR. who's talking or look who's talking to <laughs> the vcr is in one hand so once they kick you in the ass you could only grab one video is it halloween three or friday the 13th five I think it's going to have to be Friday the 13th 5. I'll tell you why. Controversial. I'll tell you why. Wait. He, he's a ride it's, or die. It, it, <laughs> no. If I'm going to be on an island alone with one movie, it's got to be one with nudity. Nice. <laughs> All right. I respect that. Yeah. You're going to be on a desert island alone with a movie that only has kids in it and Tom Atkins. <laughs> Get real. Love Atkins. You know, you know, no, me too, uh, but I don't uh, want to see that. Way, that uh, way, though. It's a choice between oh. Atkins and, <laughs> It like, is early. If it's the choice between Atkins and, like, a topless diner waitress for the yeah. rest of my life, I'm it's going. Gonna, it's I, gonna, I hear you. It's going to be really, topless uh, diner It's going to be really hard to beat off to Atkins. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. Although it's I, a while, though. I suspect after a while. Yeah. Yeah. That better be some, like, unreleased lube that just <laughs> does it for you. I'm just picturing him getting kicked off a plane and having that thought in his head. You know, just being like, that's it. Just need <laughs> oh, something to beat off. If I only picked Halloween 3. <laughs> so, right. I think there's a yeah. brief nipple in Halloween 3 when Tom Atkins is sleeping with clearly the 22-year-old girl yeah, who's, yeah. who's looking for her dead father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he was banging a young chick. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, him. After and he bangs her, too. he bangs he her like five or six times, and then he's like, by the way, how old are you? Huh. <laughs> Oh man! Listen, maybe we shouldn't do this. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't have done that five times. Yeah. I, I mean, doesn't do every guy say that after they come? It's <laughs> <laughs> just like maybe that was a bad idea. <laughs> so, um, all right. Now, I, I just wanted to ask you just what sideshow pictures was because I'm not too sure what it is. Uh, sideshow pictures is it's just the the production company that I do my films under. It's basically my company that has a specific style and vibe of horror movies that I like to do which I think anyone that's seen any of my films can see there's like this sort of very suburban uh, urban legend kind of feel very and I much. love to take a lot of the 70s and 80s kind of tongue in cheek horror elements and use them to my advantage and uh, 
for me, like I call it feel good horror, which I know might sound weird or comfort horror where it's like you can kind of watch this like you can watch any one of our favorite movies, you know, you can watch a million times. Like even if you're not in the mood for a movie, be like, oh, let me just throw this on to like feel better about myself. That's how I feel those movies are. And that's what I want Sideshow Pictures films to be. I want them, you know, they may not be. You know, they're a little ridiculous at times, but they also, like, kind of feel good when you watch them. You know what I mean? They could be super bloody and just have that cool comfort horror vibe, if that makes sense. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, we like, our one of the guests that we had on, Mark Schoenbeck. Yeah. A good friend on. of mine. Yeah, man. He, he, it's like you guys are uh, hand in hand right there because <laughs> yeah. it's what he does, like, with those he, posters. He designs all my posters, yeah. Does he? Yeah. He's fucking good, isn't he? Yeah. The house yeah. that cried blood. He designed that, yeah. Oh, uh-huh. I love that poster. Thanks. Yeah. It looks so good, man. <laughs> um, so just what, when did you start the company? Like, what made you want to get into this? Because I know you're like an old hardcore kid. Is that so, fair to say? Yeah, totally. Um, so horror, um, far preceded. My hardcore. Um, Do you remember life. the first horror movie you saw? One hundred percent. And this is going to make a lot of sense. <laughs> first horror movie I ever saw was Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Okay. I saw it before I saw the first one. I was like four or five years old in my grandmother's basement in Valley Stream, and it was on the TV. I have no idea why. Me and my sister were watching it completely unsupervised, and this moment is like crystallized in my mind. If you remember when. Uh, the girl is skinny dipping in the lake and that guy steals her clothes, Scott, mm-hmm. the really good looking dude. And he's like running away from her and he gets caught in the in the snare and he's hanging upside down. Oh yeah. And he's like, Get something to cut me down and she runs off. So I'm like five years old and I'm like looking at this fully naked girl and I'm like, Oh my God, like this is insane. I've never seen anything like this. And then Jason comes out of the woods and cuts this guy's throat wide open. And it's terrifying. And I'm staring at it. My grandfather comes into the room at that point. And the first thought that came into my mind was, oh, my God, we're going to get in trouble. We shouldn't be watching this. And then also I was like, I hope he doesn't turn it off because I really want to see this. He didn't turn it off. He didn't get mad. He turned to me and he just said, remember, this is all fake. And then he left the room. And Shout out to Grandpa, man. It, yeah. <laughs> Way yeah. to handle that. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> like a pro. And like a grandpa. Yeah. It, that <laughs> is so stuck in my mind because I remember at that four or five-year-old age – my brain being like, what do you mean it's fake? Was it a fake knife? Was it like, I started as best as a four year old could deconstructing what that could possibly mean. And just my fascination was like born. And I was always a kid into monsters and I just started watching horror movies nonstop. And my parents just didn't, didn't care. Right. Stop it. Same thing. Same thing with me. Like pop, like mom and pop shops were like shit. Like today somebody mentioned it on horror nerd discussion. She was like, um, you know, is uh, Annabelle creation Annabelle, yeah. okay to that show my kid? Thread. And yeah, because then like some people were like high and mighty on her, like, oh, wow, shitty parenting. And I'm yeah. thinking like, it's a different world. I started this group and I started watching <laughs> movies around that time, four, five, six. Yeah. Like, and you guys are all in this, like, how fucking stupid. It was Who weird. Did you- I was going to contribute, but I, like my kid, I know it would spook my kid. He's seven. I would, I'm not going to bring him. Right. If he's really in, like he reads Goosebumps, handles that shit. I know what he can handle. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, but your know, kid can you know, handle it. I, w- I would say, it. so maybe this might make sense to you guys. Like to me, Annabelle Creation or any of The Conjuring's awesome movies, right? I think they're really cool. They're scary. To me, they're not comfort horror in, in the sense that like 
Friday the Thirteenth is because I feel like they they're a different type of scary where mm-hmm. it's they're they're so atmospheric that I don't think a child would enjoy it. A child is sort of terrified by it. Where not that as a kid I wasn't terrified by Friday the Thirteenth or Nightmare on Elm Street or the countless other '80s films, but there was sort of this like unrealisticness to them that is comprehensive. I think even on like a childish level. Do you know what I mean? So there's there's a sort of safety there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. If that makes sense. But makes I sense. feel like if you watch The Conjuring or Insidious as a kid, you're just going to be straight up terrified. It is very You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. It's not It's not like a, like, for me as a kid, I could be like, all right, well, I just won't go in the woods and Jason can't get me. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. But like Annabelle and the Conjuring, like that's in your house. And you know what I'm saying? And, stuff. and I feel like some of these horrors are a little more mean-spirited and real, which mm. is not a bad thing. I think they're they're excellent films, you know? Right. I get that. Um, but there's a difference where Friday the 13th still or Elm Street, they have those trace elements of fun. There's that controlled anxiety where you can, where you're okay at the end of the film. Where well, like Annabelle at the end, you're still scared. That's how I feel about Halloween. Halloween is very atmospheric. The first two, like it's like you're for sure basically waiting for something to happen. And then you look over like behind Parker's head and, uh, You'll see like the you guys leave that basement door open on purpose. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you'll see like the mask will pop up, and it just takes forever. And then the mute, like the score comes in, right? The and the killer. score is yeah. like just like almost like the legend. Yeah, it's just like that 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 pre-stab. Those scores are phenomenal, uh, hands down. Yeah. I mean, everything he does, yeah. musically. You know, I used to have an, film. and this will explain a lot. Like you, I used to have a uh, uh, reoccurring Michael Myers dreams. I still have reoccurring Jason Voorhees dreams. Ah, you see, I, mine ran out. I don't know. I don't remember the last time. It's been a while, but probably. You think it has, but you, one of them is going to pop, because I thought I was done, and I had it's one like tonight. a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I, so. In, It'll show up. And sometimes, like, I remember, maybe it was like in my, in my early 20s it stopped, but somewhere along the way in my dream, I would realize, like, oh, shit, this is another one of those dreams. And I knew, like, it was almost like, okay, I know that this isn't real. And I had, and it was the only time that I was dreaming that I felt that way, that I knew exactly, like, I was, like, playing out the movie. But in my head, I'm like, oh, this is a fucking movie, so nothing's going to happen. And I was kind of calm about it. Right. But, uh, all right, so then from there, um, yeah. Where do you go? Like, I mean, I guess just like this love of movie, you just consume everything. And well, so this was like the 80s, too, I would assume. Yeah, this was like super early 80s. And as you were saying, the mom and pop video culture fed into that. Yeah. And it was cool because, um, you know, I would walk up to the it was Royal Video. I lived in Elmont and there was this video shop like a few blocks from my house. We'd walk up rent some movies and it, even if just like me and my brother went in by ourselves and just grab rated our movies there was they were just like all right cool like they wouldn't no, stop you right they didn't stop us yeah. and then i started drawing like cool pictures of like freddy krueger and jason and she the woman i think her name was millie she would just hang up these child <laughs> drawings of freddy like in the horror section in the video store you know, and like it was just a cool thing. You that know was, what I mean? That's Where, very cool. Like, yeah, for, like for that to happen, yeah. like as a young, it was it was very neighborhood. You know yeah, what I'm right. saying? And um, I don't know. It was just a cool. It was just a cool thing. And then as as I got older, when I was like 12, 13, we we made VHS horror movies. You know, and it just was like, it just seemed like a natural thing to do. Like I don't even think we thought what we were doing was so cool at the time. 
but we would, you know, me, my brother, and whoever of our friends lived on the blocks, we'd all think up different scary stories, and there was no, like, okay, you're the director, and you're, the, we all just kind of were like, all right, I'm going to be the killer, and you're going to be the, like, there was no real cohesion, we would just come up with a story, videotape it, and then we would watch them, and it was fun, and how would, so, I mean, but then, I mean, back then, it was like, probably, like, if you're doing, like, the VHS thing, there was no editing. It was no, just, we, we just, we shot... You weren't splicing tape? in camera. No, no, definitely not. We would just we just stop and start the camera as we, if we wanted to change angles, we just stop and start. I yeah. remember we we did a very big stunt, which was uh, so we we did a film <laughs> so stupid. It, it was like it was called Jason tries comedy, and it was supposed to be a funny Friday the Thirteenth where like Jason is the one that gets killed by like a baby. It was really dumb, but I'll get to the point that was cool. Jason <laughs> Jason had to escape from the hospital, so we, like, filmed Jason going to the win- – I played Jason. So I, like, opened up a window. I had a hockey mask on, and I, like, leaned out the window, and then we stopped the camera, and we went outside, and we threw a dummy out the window, and the dummy fell. And then we stopped the camera again, and then I laid down where the dummy fell, and then we started to record. So – not edited well by yeah. any means, but to us it was like, oh my god, yeah, this is yeah. the most magical thing we've ever done. Because yeah. you know what I mean, like. But it, I mean, and you were like what, like uh, preteen? Uh, like twelve, yeah, twelve, yeah. thirteen. We probably would just turn because we were doing skate videos at the time too. Again, right. not good, but like just so we were we were used to doing stuff with a camera. Yeah. The first the first film we ever did was. <laughs> you still was called, have all these films? No, so <laughs> so here's the tragedy. Um, we had like one or two VHS tapes that we used and we would just, we'd watch it for a few weeks, get and bored tape over and it? be like, let's oh. just make a new one and tape over it. Cause at the time we, you know, we yeah, had no idea, no idea. it was going to be, you had no like, idea you were going to be on this podcast. I had no idea I was going to be on this podcast. <laughs> it, I, I wish, I think, I think my brother said one of the Jason films survived and he might have it. I can check with him. The lost tape. But the like basement slasher was, was the first one we did and that is gone, but it was very simple plot. It was a, um. A, a slasher killer called the basement slasher lived in the closet in a basement and these kids didn't know about it and they were down there playing Nintendo and then one kid like left the room to go to the bathroom and he came back and his friend was gone because the basement slasher pulled him into the closet and slashed them and then when the basement slasher came to attack the other kid the other kid killed the basement slasher but killing the slasher made him go crazy and become the basement slasher you always All need right. the sequel. Fuck. That's what it is. It's a good yeah, movie, right there. Then, you if, it, it, it probably oh, sounds way yeah. better than it was. I think. I think I, retro I, pictures I should be showing you. that next. Yeah. I can promise you, it wasn't. You good. always need to that setup because there's always like because you, you always like when you're a kid, you watch that and you're like, all right, this. I can't think there was be a it. 20 minute scene of us actually just filming the screen while they were playing Super Mario Brothers, like <laughs> just filming the game happening. Nice. But the That's intent awesome. was there. Yeah. Um. And then from there, you start doing all the stuff, and you, I guess you got into music too, right? Yeah, so I've always been into music as well, so it's like, I guess when you're, I, I, as like a misfit kid, you sort of gravitate to certain things, you know, like, um, so horror yeah, movies, punk was rock. The, the, exactly, like there was that, especially even before, like there was that metal horror connection totally. for, for movies like Black Roses, Trick or Treat, and mm-hmm. all that other stuff, so yeah. Definitely, and and uh, just the imagery too. Yeah, I think there's just something about it. Like, I don't know if it's the generation. Well, no, I guess it still goes on, but there, there's something that draws the sort of like 
wayward misfit kind of latchkey kids that don't that don't fit directly into the standard high school structure especially you know long island is a weird place you know like the suburbs are a weird place there's this very identity structure and i think if you're that kind of kid that's like sort of struggling with your identity and you're you're dealing with weird shit growing up and i don't know you just gravitate to certain things and i think that like horror movies metal punk rock hardcore it all kind of goes hand in hand so yeah, I guess they're like getting into hardcore things. became like a natural and they also progression the as most, well you know you know the best fan bases, the most diehard fan bases. Right. Yeah. So right. You have very, you know, very faithful on, fans. You sign up a life. Yeah. yeah. You don't see like conventions going on for romantic comedy actors <laughs> 40 years later. You know what I'm saying? It's true. It's true. We're celebrating Fail to Launch his 20th <laughs> birthday. But I mean, and on the flip side, though, those are the ones that like as soon as you stray from that path, like a lot of those dudes are going to rip you apart. Yeah. You know, just be like, I can't believe he only killed 20 people in this movie. It's right. like how fucking, you know, dare he and so, shit like that. So. It's tricky because horror fans are like, they're a tricky bunch because it's like if you give them kind of what they want, then they're annoyed. You just gave them yeah. what they want. They're like, oh, I want something a little different. And then if you do something too different, they're like bent out of shape. And Which again describes metal and punk fans. Yeah. Too. You know, I think, I think, I think what it is, it's like any. <clears throat> any passion you know they're passionate people at the end of the day and they're passionate about what they love so it's just tricky you know it's like you want to you want to be like here here's what you like and i like it too and this is why i'm doing it but if it's not enough or too much i don't know it's a i guess a lot of people also say they uh they're just glad that they're passionate about it that they watch things they pay attention they right. feel a certain way about it then being ambivalent to it just like right. eh, and and only a know. fan i mean listen anyone could knock whatever but i feel like only a fan could really like if i want if i fucking hate jason x it's because i watched the first nine it's because you yeah. love jason yeah right and i'm just like nah i can't fuck with this right. that's what dan Ter's favorite so just take it down a notch <laughs> jason x so. what do you think of jason x I, I don't think of Jason X. <laughs> I fucking I, hate that movie. I think yeah. Jason I've, goes I've to hell is better. That uh, I like Jason goes to hell. Yeah. I, I I disregard the Jason films. I call them the Jason films because they're not called Friday the Thirteenth. Because well, so, you can't use the name. Right. I don't want to get into the super geek aspects, but yeah, once once New Line took over and they became Jason films, they it's like there's no linear. Similar to the Halloween films, it's like there's no. Other than Jason, there's no previous connection to the mythology that was laid out in the earlier Paramount films, which really, after the sixth, Paramount sort of, you know, with seven and eight of Friday the 13th, they've, they have they abandoned the former lineage where, um, to me, the two strongest aspects, why I believe the Friday films are so strong up to part six is because you have two very strong threads that bind, and from part one through three, you're bound by Mrs. Voorhees. Obviously, she's the most important thing in part one. That leads into part two, and you find out that Jason is, like, worshipping her head and all this weird shit. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, and then in part three, um, Jason gets his hockey mask for the first time, which is exciting. And then, Shout out to Shelly. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Shelly. That guy's oh. great. And then in the end, you have Mrs. Voorhees comes out of the lake, which, again, doesn't make sense, but there's still that connection there. Then you move on to part four, and they push away from the Vor the Mrs. Voorhees aspect, but you're introducing the Tommy Jarvis storyline, which takes us through part four, which is interesting because Jason is killed by 
an 11 year old boy which is the same age jason was when he drowned which is interesting and then you go into part five which as we discussed has titties so that's good but (laughs) not the greatest film but but what keeps you through it is is they've maintained the tommy jarvis aspect which is interesting and then you go into part six jason lives which is again really the death of jason uh and you still have the tommy jarvis aspect so i think when you have those that's what makes the effective sequel it's not just that oh it's the same killer again there's there's more than just the killer coming through you have the killer and some backstory so for the first three mrs Voorhees is that element for the next three tommy jarvis is once you get into part seven there's no relation to mrs Voorhees. there's no relation to tommy jarvis mm-hmm. you just have this carry chick that has superpowers and you know she's there with bernie lomax and like yeah. <laughs> you know like <laughs> that was, is, that was another is, movie they got cut like weekend the, at bernie's no <laughs> um just kidding the the death scenes like they cut them all out in part like, seven yeah because yeah, you could find them up on youtube yeah like, it's notoriously butchered yeah, yeah. i don't know why because they weren't that bad you know no. they're not that brutal no that's what people go there the sleeping bag the like, sleeping bag death is pretty oh, rough the best Epic. one yeah yeah. My so good. yeah yeah seven and eight are, are pretty terrible but they're fun to watch like i can watch them whenever but yeah. they're like just i mean just <laughs> fucking like the fellow like, when they make it to new york I mean, it's just eight, like, when they make it to new york Times square to new york slash canada new york. Yeah. Yeah. yeah quotation 10 minutes of that there i can't yeah. believe in the 80s that toxic waste actually flowed through the sewers of new york like, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was like, yeah, every night around Radioactive this time. Radioactive waste, yeah. Yeah, every okay. night around this time. But as I'm watching it, I'm And then Jason like, melts and like uh, turns into this like pterodactyl-sounding thing. So oh, weird. yeah, and then he like vomits on himself. Like, and then he turns into a boy in underwear with hair. Like yeah. It's just it, it's nonsensical. Wouldn't you like to basically talk to whoever like wrote that and approved it? Because it had to go to you made movies, so you know that yeah. it needs to, like somebody it goes need, through a development process. Yeah, somebody yeah. needs to sit there and be like, "Yeah, this is this is good." Whoever it's, wrote that probably it got cut <laughs> well apart I, by like twenty people. I, I by know the, the part of the aspect out, was you know? was budget. They couldn't shoot in New York. They were like, "We just yeah, can't afford the to shoot." In New York. But I'm shot, talking about just it. like the ending, right? Like yeah. who? Like you know, I, what I I'm saying like you're gonna like write it down on, on a napkin. But I, I've I got been in situations where I, I could see that being a sort of like too many cooks, yeah, situation where everybody has a say, and then it's like, okay, we'll do this to make everybody in the room happy, yeah. and that sucks, you know, because because then the the film suffers, and then the fans suffer. I did like that metal chick that played the flying V, though. She was kind of hot. Yeah. She was hot. Yeah, she was hot. And the guy, the guy taping her. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put this on MTV like, one day. Weird late 80s yeah, voyeuristic yeah. weirdo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so actually going to, to your shirt real quick, I'm going to, because I got the name of the movie that we were trying to figure out, Burial Ground. Burial Ground, yes. Yeah. Retro picture show. So, yeah, shout Box out. Box set over there. Shout Thank out you. to Mike Ciani, right? Mike Ciani, yeah. He's Definitely the man. doing a lot of good stuff. Him, him and Nina are, yeah, they're doing, they're putting on like amazing programs. And um, what I genuinely think is the coolest thing about what they're doing is like they get really great prints like because were you at the texas chainsaw massacre screen? no but i saw the pictures because uh, it's, my it's the first i've seen texas chainsaw in 35 before it's the first time i've ever seen it with like color like it actually still had a lot of color and i like damaged prints i do like if i'm going to go see an old print i want to see scratches i want it beat up and this had for me the perfect amount of decay with still a lot of color and you just, you really, for me, like, you really get that feeling 
You know what I mean? You get that like, it's like ah, this is awesome. Yeah. You know, you get that like grungy beat up like grindhouse, dirty, yeah. totally. Yeah. Like you feel like you're seeing it then. You know, mm -hmm. you get that idea of like, yeah, this is a dirty, scratchy print. I get that. You get a film yeah. rolling and. Yep. The They're doing a lot of good stuff, a lot of good double features. They have a uh, Night of the Creeps and, and Critters, Critters double uh, feature coming killer. up September eighth. Yeah, and it's fun. It, it's it's usually like uh, midnight. And you movies. can drink. Yeah. Nice. I would Where be. that's at? It's Huntington, the Art Cinema Center? Arts Center. Oh, Cinema Arts yeah. Center. Yeah, I love that place. So it's yeah. uh, it's an alternative to Nighthawk in right. Brooklyn because it's local for some of us. Yeah. And uh, it starts at ten. So it doesn't go too late, you know. It's like from ten to like sometimes 10 two. Ten to one. Yeah. Two of the latest. Because usually yeah. there's an intermission. Yeah. They I play cool old camp. trailers. Oh, that's cool they right do. there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they, so that's unrelated to that summer camp thing they do there. No, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's the same just thing. they show those there. Yeah. Show. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. went to a couple. Wait, what did we see there? I saw with my wife. Uh, they're doing the pay to get out. I yep. think. Yeah. We didn't make it week. Two weeks. Two weeks. They're doing it. Did you ever do one of those? That's no, brutal. so yeah, I, I every every that. year that they do the pay to get out, I'm I'm in Pennsylvania at Camp Blood, which is where they do a there's a drive-in theater Camp in Blood. Tell me about oh, that. You don't know. Yeah. That. Oh, I was creeping on your pictures, looking at what that. Yeah, when Dude, you went to all right, that. the Mahoning Theater. Pants this is also something <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, in Pennsylvania, they do. Um, it's a drive-in. It's a huge drive-in um, up in Pennsylvania, and at the end of the summer every year, they do what they call Camp Blood. It's two nights, two triple features, 35 millimeter, all summer camp films. So Friday the 13th, last year they did Friday the 13th, I think one and two, and Sleepaway Camp the first night. And then the second night was The Burning, I don't even remember. Oh, but fantastic. Yeah. Mm. it's 10 bucks a night. And then if you want to camp out, it's another 10 bucks per car. Holy so you shit. actually, that's awesome. you camp yeah. out in the drive-in. It's a grassy field, so you park your car, you set up camp. They have, like, really cool stuff going on. They do, like, camp games before the sun goes down, and, like, it's just awesome. You're out under the stars. You're drinking. Like Strip chilling. Monopoly. That's cool yeah. shit. Yeah. That. Not yeah. Strip Monopoly. <laughs> but, well, maybe it is. I don't know. So, so unfortunately, <laughs> that's always the same weekend as the pay okay. to get out. So I do that, so I haven't been to a pay to get out. Not to take any love away from Retro Picture Show because, no. yeah. as far as I'm concerned, it's like the best thing to do on Long Island. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and like you said, like Nighthawk is awesome, Alamo Draft House is awesome, but if you live in Nassau, or Suffolk, it's like it's not as easy to shoot out to Brooklyn all sure. the time. Um, do you feel like so this, this is cool because it's close? Do you feel you know? like this is cool because like now like uh, newer movies are like bypassing the theater? Because it probably costs less to shoot it out to like VOD, yeah. And for now sure. these these old movies are being shown again because that's they could make money on it again, you know. So yeah, now it's like people a, did, didn't get to see them. The yeah. yeah. Well, well I think event. it's interesting because I think like our generation, you know, we're all like '80s kids, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. more or less. Right. I think our generation is kind of like, you know, we're like, no, this is the way we like stuff, and now we're adults even though I guess in a way we're acting childish, but like we're adults in the sense that we can make those decisions where we're like, yeah, we're the ones spending the money on this. We want to spend money on like a movie theater experience. That's cool. You know what I mean? Like we want to see older films or even newer films released in a cool way. You know well, what I'm saying? I think we're the last generation that grew up Analog. without a computer. Right. And then went through the transition of having a computer in your house commonplace and For using sure. it. Yes. So we had 
the mom and pops. We had all that shit. We right. grew up with that. Whereas some kid now doesn't. You know, that's just yeah. Because right my about. my brother's six years younger, and he was nice with the computer. He was better at it than I was. Like I had to grow into it because right. it just wasn't my thing. Yeah. You know. So there was that generation thing. Because I'm 39, so he should be 33. So it was like around sure. that time. So. But you remember growing up without one. Absolutely, yeah, that, yeah. That definitely. would be like insanity. I didn't, I didn't have a computer. Right I didn't have my own computer. I think until '98 or '99. I'm a Commodore 64. Nice. That I, shit was hot. I think we we had a, we had a computer in the house that somebody like gave now us. Now I jerk I, off on my phone. I, I remember like <laughs> I, I remember. You don't punch, need no strip monopoly. I, so you don't need like anything on the island. You like keep both your movies. I'm taking my phone. <laughs> uh. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think there's something about, um, we're like the last like sort of analog generation in a sense, I guess. Um, yeah. but that's like coming back and it's funny what we were talking about like hipsters before, um, where like, it, it's like you get called a hipster for like anything now, you know, it's like anything that you do that's like outside of the, you know, if you have any sort of discerning taste in any aspect whatsoever, you're a hipster, you know, like, Oh, I, I like this music hipster. I like these kinds of movies, hipster. Um, you know, like, so, but I, I think what's interesting is, like, we grew up, you know, you guys were into Tower Records, obviously, right? Sure. Like, there, I think we all associate, we're associating these things, movies, video, you know, VHS mom and pop shops and Tower Records. For me, I think the reason, even if you want to tie this into, you know, you're talking about music and, like, hardcore, for me, it's not just those elements. It's the socialization that came with it like i met people oh, yeah, absolutely. even as a kid in the video store mm -hmm. you're just wandering around aimlessly because you couldn't download the trailer you're just like well this box art looks amazing and you literally had to judge a movie by the cover absolutely and then you run into this other geek next to you and he's like oh i saw that last week it's dope and you're like oh cool did you see this Instant and like, oh by the way yeah. do you read fangoria yeah, yeah. So you connect. Same thing, Tower Records. It's I used to go to Tower Records not even to buy anything, just to hang out. Yeah. They were open till midnight or 1 o'clock on Fridays. So if you had nothing to do, I mean, me and my friends, we would just, let's go to Tower Records. Always definitely some cute girls walking around. If there wasn't, we would like read some books or we would just... Did you watch the documentary? No. Does a Tower Records documentary? Are you fucking kidding good, me? Yeah. Yo, no. Colin Hanks, Tom Hanks's son. No way. Do you have Do you All have cable? Must pass. Yes. Uh, I don't have cable. I have Apple TV. Okay. I so, could buy it or rent yeah, it. Yeah, it's, sure. it's called All yeah. Things All Things Pass, right? Yeah. So he he made a documentary on Tower Records, and it's it's man. I mean, it was a hangout. Yeah. You know, all record shops you, were. And the, the rise VHS and shops. fall of the yes. especially the the one on what Sunset or in, yeah. in California, yep. that famous one. Yeah, that shit will bring a tear to your eye. But, yeah, but what's interesting great, now, yeah. so we're seeing this sort of like, I mean, record shops are starting to pop up again. Mm. And they're still kind of novelty, but like, it's, a niche it's cool. Market. It is a niche market, right. but vinyl records outsold all other forms of music last right. year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it is a niche market, but I think that it's seeing that resurgence because I think the people of our generation mm -hmm. are not ready to let that go. Like, no, there's value here beyond just owning a record and yeah. just saying, I own a record, so I'm cool. Like, the value in there is the sort of, it's nostalgia, but it's also like, there's a social, like, I don't even really know you guys. I just met you for the first time tonight, but I feel like we're all. I'll edit that out. Already, <laughs> no. What I mean is, Frank's like, a long time listener. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, like personally, this is the first time I've hung out with you guys. Right. You know what I mean? But like, 
it's still there's the camaraderie seems to just be there very easily because of these things of these things yeah man you, so but going you, back to like the video stores how many times did you and i probably co- cross paths at hardcore shows sure exactly even, you know, exactly so. right exactly common and the, ground you know right yeah, we, we have know. that common right. ground but it's it's not just about the thing itself it's about the socialization that went with it and i think we're seeing these things come back we're seeing vhs come back we're seeing movies being projected on film come back the movie theater experiences are coming back because we crave that sort of social aspect where the computer, the internet has sort of desocialized, like they call it social networking. In my opinion is desocializing because it's like nobody, you know, yes, you're talking online, but you're not getting together and you're not, there's nothing organic happening line there. Keeping one foot you know? in one camp, one foot in the other. Sure. If it wasn't for Facebook, I wouldn't even met these guys. Well, right, no so, doubt. Like then, you know. We no, no, no. Of course, of course. Friends. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not suggesting <laughs> yeah, yeah. to disregard a the right a healthy balance. Yeah. Sure, but when you you look at the even like younger generation now, like kids now, you know, I, I mean, I get really frustrated when I hang out with people and like everybody's on their phone, and it's like, dude, we're all here now. Who are you talking to? What are you doing? Like, let's let's do this. You Tinder. Know? Sam's I look at my phone. Like <laughs> <laughs> I look at my He's phone so fucking hipster, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's looking at it right now. I'm <laughs> updating our 14 Twitter followers. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I mean? I think I think you're right. It's like you have to have one foot in both camps for sure. But I think that without one, the other would suck, and vice Agreed, versa. Definitely. We, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I try to do shit. I try to do everything. Definitely. Like wh- whether it's like shows or movies. Like I try to always stay current go out do my thing yeah you don't um, want to become a fossil either no you know? no yeah i i try shit like anything that comes out this year i'll like i'll listen to i'll watch um but i i stay out there like i don't i don't have a kid i don't have a wife i don't have any yeah, of that no, shit. me it's too like, so i'm so i'm able to kind of like i'm out like you said cool, you're going yeah. to a fucking to blood camp blood yeah camp blood. blood yeah you know what i'm saying like most people our age are probably not doing that yeah yeah no and to sure. me i'm thinking like that sucks for you <laughs> yeah no i feel that i genuinely feel that way yeah. you know i agree but um okay so going back to, to to your life um how did everything like basically build up to this movie because like we're talking Lionsgate like uh, was the budget really three million dollars no absolutely not I don't know why that says that <laughs> that shit looks balling as fuck I know it is not <laughs> you know because I'm thinking like and the movie looks like it could be three million no uh, look we good, we did a great job of making it look good for sure absolutely the, the budget was about one million um even that yeah. But definitely not three million. I don't know how three million got on the website. Maybe I'm not supposed to say that. I don't know. IMDb says three million, right? Absolutely. I don't know where or how. It wasn't us. But Mosley took half of that. <laughs> Daniel yeah. Harris took the other half, and you're like, ah, that's right. This one million to Bill. One million to <laughs> Daniel. No. Um. So how did I get to that? So I started Sideshow Pictures in 2005, I think. Okay. And by started it, I literally. All I did was incorporate. I was just like, let me just incorporate this and make it a real thing. What was, was the vision? The vision was to make a cool horror movie production company that would make cool movies and just be a cool thing, and hopefully this would be my career, right? So this is 2005. I was still living with my mom. My office was my bedroom. Um, 
I mean, I that's saw, how everything starts. Yeah, like for it. sure. So I incorporated. Film school or anything? Or? I did go to film school. So I went to. I've been a photographer since I was like twelve. Right. So and making shitty VHS movies since about the same age. And after high school, I was kind of like a fucked up kid in in terms of I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, what direction I was going in life, and there was a lot of shit going on in my life at the time. Um, so I went to Nassau Community College took photography, took liberal arts, and I was just taking, I didn't really, I wasn't really gold towards like getting a degree, but I was just taking classes that I thought were cool. I took a lot of psychology, I took writing, creative writing, blah, blah, blah. Then I, a buddy of mine was going to Hofstra for film, and he was like, dude, I love your photography, do you want to shoot my film? And I was like, sure. He was she doing, is. That's yeah. awesome. And I was like, definitely. So I started going to Hofstra with him even though I wasn't enrolled. So I was like going into the film lab. We were editing on a Steenbeck. We shot this cool 16-millimeter film um, on a Bolex camera, which is like a like an old-school, like, iron, you know, like, and um, I don't know. It was awesome. Like, he edited it. Um, I couldn't rent equipment because I wasn't officially a student there, but he would take the gear out, and we did that film, and I was like, I just realized this is exactly what I want to do. So when that stopped, I went to New York Film Academy in Manhattan and I made a bunch more films and it was like me and the small crew of people I was working with were like, I don't want to say the best in our class, but we were like, and I don't mean that in a dick way. It's just, we were the most serious about what we were doing and we made the coolest films. Like we made, like everybody was making these kind of art house films that were super cool. They were cool, but we made like straight zombie movies and like, you know, like for us, the, we were like, we just want to do Evil Dead. So we were making these really sloppy, gory, black and white zombie horror films and stuff like that. And the audiences that would see them, you know, they would have screenings, would genuinely enjoy them. You know what I mean? Because they were just fun, cool, you know, that kind of movies. And then when I finished that, I just started working on sets and I started writing short films and doing whatever I could do. And this opportunity fell into my lap. Like I, I was dating a girl that just started working for this company and the executives of that company were produced, they wanted to produce a horror film specifically. And she called me up and she's like, hey, these guys want to make a horror movie. And I was like, cool, get me a meeting. And she was like, okay. So she did. I met them. I pitched them a story that they weren't really into, but I think they liked me. You know what I mean? Like my enthusiasm and blah, blah, blah. And I pitched them Blood Night, which they, they basically, they were like, do you have anything that's like, sort of urban legend and like slashery and i was like yeah so did you or did you just come up with it so blood night was a loose idea in my mind it was a title that i had written down with no story like two years before that um i had been working on a film and we were doing special effects on a, on a certain day and we kept calling that day blood day and then we went into overtime we were shooting overnight so we just started calling it blood night and i was like what a great slasher movie title so i just wrote it down thinking this will be a terrible slasher movie someday and it'll be awesome, <laughs> you know? And um, so after they said we want to do something slasher and urban, le urban legend, I had in the back of my mind a story from Mary Hatchet. Like I, I like to incorporate Long Island and the suburbs and things I've heard about growing up. So I was just like, okay, somehow I'm going to put this Mary Hatchet story together. And what was the Mary Hatchet story? So the Mary Hatchet story, as I had learned it, was that in West... West Hills Day Camp off of Sweet Hollow Road um, was a counselor 
went crazy and like murdered all the kids with a hatchet and they called her Mary Hatchet. That was the first incarnation of the story I heard and that was when I was a teenager. Um, and then I heard another version of it where she was like a girl that died or was murdered and her ghost haunted Sweet Hollow Road, which is in Melville, right? Something yep. like that? Yeah. yeah. So I kind of was like, all right, there's like a cool story there somehow. And I made it my own bullshit version. I was just like, okay, she killed her parents and she got put away in Kings Park. So I threw together like a five-page treatment and I brought it back to these guys. And they were like, this is great. Let's do it. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, they actually think this is good. Awesome. And I started throwing in all these like crazy elements. You know, like I, I wanted it to be... I never thought it would get big, and I never thought it would really be a Lionsgate film. So I wanted it to just kind of be. I'm like, let me just make it really sloppy, gory, a little weird. So there's like that whole like you know like PMS element to it, which is just bizarre. And it like, it was pretty bizarre. Like, yeah, it definitely like, was like an interesting angle. Like, yeah. Well, that's that's something I heard in health class was that this we saw a film that a girl got her first period and cut off all her hair and burned down her house. And I was like, that, that, what? I saw that in like seventh grade. <laughs> what the fuck? I saw this in seventh grade. So this was like in school. This was taught to me. So I like incorporated all these like weird things. I, I don't know. They were like, I definitely like, needed a copy of that somewhere. <laughs> God. I had like, who's sh- your health teacher? They should be brought up. I just remember like the, the, Ben uh, Affleck, like the one arm push up steroid. Oh, uh, in the Aaron class. Henry story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only one I remember. Yeah. Ben Affleck? Anyway, so I, I just started incorporating like all these like, things that I was like all right and like in my mind I was like I want this to be like a USA up all night slasher like kind of trashy a little trauma a little this a little that and originally I wanted it to be genuinely a bad slasher movie like I wanted to like I wanted I literally was just like I want really bad actors I want it to like look shitty like I wanted to make like sleepaway camp in a sense like Mm -hmm. but then I I got I got nervous I was like I was like, I don't know if people will get it if I, on purpose, make a bad movie. Let me try to make it good. Probably not. Right. So I changed my whole... I was like, let me keep the trashy elements, but try to deliver it in a serious way. Try to deliver it with, like, slick production value. Make it look sharp. Make it look clean. Good effects. Good acting. And play it straight, as opposed to, you know, like, some... like. Like, Hatchet sort of doesn't take itself fully seriously, which is totally cool. Yeah. But I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to make fun of myself with myself, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's fine if other people make fun of me after, <laughs> but I didn't want the movie making fun of itself. Quick quick right. side note, what was the best Hatchet out of the three? One. Uh, I don't actually love the Hatchet films, but if I had to pick one, it would be the first one. Interesting. I'm yeah. going with three. But God. I haven't seen I like three. three. Three's fucking great. That was a good series. Zach, Zach Galligan? Right, the oh yeah, guy? yeah, Zach Allen. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I'll check it out. I'll definitely check it. Yeah, out. Yeah, that's my favorite out of the. The first two are cool. I just didn't. I I don't love that they make fun of themselves within. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's too many in references. It's a little for too me. like a too hokey. Of itself. Yeah. Right, right. That, that's, that's how perfect. Kind of like that's uh, why I didn't like Cabin Sharknado. in the Woods or Sharknado. Actually, I loved Cabin in the Woods. I didn't too. like it. I yeah. thought oh, it was Cabin in the Woods. I love. It was a different type of self-aware. I get it. Like. I don't know. I just wasn't in love. I know I was in the minority. Yeah, because that movie. I saw that in the theater. I remember. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know where it was going. Me either. No, I I loved it. I dug it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I didn't know where it was going. And that's interesting. I'm like watching this going like, okay, I don't know what the fuck's happening here. Like when he's zapped. (laughs) 
<laughs> or something. Yeah, like, yeah. I was just like, okay, this. Any is movie not... with like the Alpha Beta guy from like Revenge of the Nerds too, I'm all in. Totally, yeah, totally. sign me up. So. Alpha right. Beta. <laughs> so, all right. Um, so, so yeah. So I didn't want it to be self-aware, like you said. Like I didn't want it to have the sort of awareness when we're making fun of ourselves. I wanted, I wanted this sort of trashy, ridiculous, slashy, odd plot to be delivered straightforward. So I wanted it to be taken seriously. So that's how I tried to direct it and how I, you know, how I wanted it to be. And Lionsgate wasn't involved until the end, like after we made the film. Did you know that's what it was going to be released no, on? No, we, we oh, hoped, so you, you we hoped it would be, you know, we didn't have a distributor up front. Oh, okay. We just had financing and we had a marketing company behind it, but we didn't have an attached distributor. And then we were talking with, so after the film got out, so what happened was we finished the film um fangoria came to the set and they did some great photos and they did an awesome write-up it did like a really good festival run and it's like know, 2007 probably right this was like a year before 2009 the i think when was the movie uh, released right. when was it released you got your uh imdb there cheat sheet it, it was kind of, it, technically it was released twice um, i have 2009 so yeah so 2009 was when it was festival released mm -hmm. and then when it was real life released was 2011 oh like, really yeah Going back a little bit to the casting, how did uh, Bill Mosley and Daniel Harris they, become part of it? I, we had a casting director, and he was like, so who do you... He's like, give me like your dream list of like okay. people for these roles. And What did you say? I put down, for Graveyard Gus, I put down Bill Mosley and Robert Englund. Okay. And then for for the character of Alyssa, which is Daniel Harris's character, I only said Daniel Harris. Uh, and I was I was like, if we don't get her, it's almost pointless. You know what I mean? I was like, then it doesn't. It's not even cool because, I, spoiler alert, Daniel Harris is the killer. So like, I was like, if she's not the killer, then I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, then I'll write it in a way where that it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. But for me, like a big aspect was like, this is gonna be the first time she's not the victim. Yeah, 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 yeah I thought that watching it. Yeah, I was yeah. Like, wow, that's probably um, fun for her. And and Bill, uh, funny enough, like one of our mutual friends that I love, been friends with him for a while, Paul Travers. Oh yeah, yeah. So he right. got he got. Uh, so so Paul and Dana, you know Dana, they did they they did PR for the film like after its release, and I think that's how they met Bill oh. by doing PR for Blood Night and stuff like that. Yeah, they yeah. used a lot of like crew and stuff like that. From, yeah, me and Paul were in band together. Yeah, Definitely. that's awesome. Yeah, so he's a cool dude. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, so yeah, so it did a festival run and it, it was doing really well in festivals. Um, it, it played like around the world. It won like the African, South African film festival. It was in the shout same. out to uh, Charlize Theron. Yeah, <laughs> so hot. <laughs> She's the one that chose it as the winner. Nice. No, no. Was it like um, that naked scene in Rain Day Games when she's on the pole? Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and then all of a sudden, like distributors started contacting us, and it was like oh, we didn't know this was going to happen. Like, we were thinking it'll probably be a VOD thing or whatever. And as distributors started contacting us, we were like, oh, shit, this might be, like, this might get, like, a legitimate release. Did it? it well, it did It did a limited theatrical, um, I don't remember how many cities. It was, like, New York, Maryland, Texas, California, and I think one or two other cities. I think it did, like, Minnesota, like a two-night thing. It's, like, this, like the rules... When you do a film with SAG, you have to have a ticketed theatrical, and there's like a minimum of nights it has to play in a minimum amount of cities, and I think that's what we did. Hmm. So, where, where did it play out here? 
um, the landmark Sunshine in Manhattan, and then on Long Island, it played at the what's the one um, Belmore Playhouse oh, or yeah. whatever is it called? I know what you're talking about. It's under the train station, okay. Belmore. Yeah. Yeah. Right off Whatever. the service road with Sunrise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you can see it right there. Yeah. yeah. So right how were those watching. premieres? That must have been fucking awesome. Like, you you know, the, you're Frank Sabatella fucking <laughs> makes a fucking movie, Long Island. <clears throat> the Belmore one was packed. Um, actually, the bigger premiere was, was when it played the New York City Horror Film Fest the year before, when it was still on the festival circuit. That was a mob scene, and it was amazing. And like so, it, it was, and, like, super packed and, like awesome crowd nice and you watch it with the crowd and like it's i don't really watch it so like because it's nerve-wracking right yeah like i like poke my head in a little bit and a little you know like i am like super weird about it so i, I get like that. hot under my skin completely because yeah. it's almost like 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 for me like i'm in a band it's like imagine like putting out a record and doing like a record release and you're just sitting there and you're watching everyone's watching head reactions as they're happening mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah that's what metallica did for the black album well metallica's different <laughs> shout out to them <laughs> <laughs> gotta bring them in every episode yeah, every episode yeah, so far 17 mentions or <laughs> what are we up to and actually no the 19 i don't think we could pay lars fuck Call Lionsgate. We need help. <laughs> Can I ask you a specific question about it? I know we talked about it in your bullet points. Too. The uh, Bill yeah. Mosley. Yeah. The dog dick line. That yes. one there. So <laughs> you cool. wrote that up? He threw no, that so, in? Like, what, no, we didn't. It wasn't written. It was just literally like that night when we were on set. Um, what made me think of it is we were we were in that hallway in the asylum, and there was an exit sign, and he went E X I T exit, mm. which is the oh, other nice. right. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I was like, dude, you got to do a chop top line. And um, at first, he honestly was like, ah, I don't really want to, and I, I didn't want to be like, no, please. Right, right. So I was like, all right, cool. I was like, but if you want, maybe just call him a dog dick when he opens the door. And he was like, all right, yeah, that might be funny. Yeah. And then he, and then he threw it in and did it. And we were like, all right, oh, cool. I love yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So fantastic. if he didn't do that first, I, w- I wouldn't have thought of it. But that wasn't in the script. Yeah. Now, when I saw that, I was just like, fuck. That. You know what else, too? What? The um, Do You Want to Party? The song. Yeah. Oh, 45 yes. Grave. Mm, grave, yeah. Yeah, man. So the original soundtrack, <laughs> this is a funny story. So the budget probably shout out to Return been, of the Living Dead would have been three million mm-hmm. if I got all the music that I actually wanted in the film in it. I had no idea at the time what music actually cost to put mm-hmm. in a film, but so I was like, yeah, we'll put in some Ramones, Marvin Gaye. Like <laughs> I had like this insane fucking soundtrack. Yeah. Lionel Richie and Rob Zombie. Like I had all these crazy songs, some Joan Jett music, like all this shit. And it was like millions of dollars worth of like publishing rights. And they were like, are you kidding? And I was like, okay, sorry. So we basically <laughs> started stripping out every song. And I was like, can we please, please, please just keep this song? The one. And we were able to keep that one song, yeah. thank God. Do you have, wow. do you have the, the cut with all the songs somewhere? Uh, no. Uh, you know, I might. Yeah, it's like I, when you're at the supermarket checkout, and I might have to like the bills. You, you put in yeah, stuff back. Be a good mixtape, right? The Lionel Richie back. That's what it was like, dude. Do you know what Ramones? How much does it cost now? Ramones yeah. music is so expensive, and so is Marvin Gaye. Uh, like the like fifty you, grand, probably right. More. If you remember the scene where where the the like nerdy kid Gibbs is getting the blowjob from the girl up in the bedroom. Yes. So that was supposed to be Marvin Gaye. Let's get it on. So like we cut the scene and it was just like I was like oh this is perfect we got to do it because it was like hilarious and they were like yeah that's like a hundred and fifty grand I was oh like oh my cool god that's insane wow. yeah imagine that and and you know maybe because I'm just such a big music guy I'm sure we all are I know you are um, that really would have made some 
kind of like dude i are, i was literally like is there any way we can come up with this money and they were like no we don't even have money yeah. left like, <laughs> <laughs> did you watch baby driver yet no that's oh, my favorite movie of the year so far and and it plays out like a, like a music video really? and they use if the movie's two hours they use an hour and 59 minutes of the, music the, the striptease scene where they're like stripping in front of the yes, film projector right. which reminded me which was me. a nod to part yes, four yes for sure absolutely um, that was originally cut to the Rob Zombie cover of Lionel Richie's Brick House wow and it was just so Rob badass. Zombie leads the league in stripper music yeah. really does yeah does. totally good for him uh, you know he's you know? got that market yeah, yeah. Him and Buck Cherry, I think. Buck Cherry has a double disc of the blowjob song. Buck Cherry is more, you know, <laughs> Buck Cherry is more like a, a Long Island townie band. You know what I'm saying? Like that's it. Like if you're 50 and you like go out once a month, because right. that's, that's me. When, that's when that's your babysitters yeah. come. And so. have to go out twice <laughs> a month. It's, for it's, it's picture like show. what people that people that listen to country music listen to when they want to get crazy. Yeah, it's like all right, I'm it's sick. Buck Cherry. Sick of Brad Paisley for today. Today's I'm Sunday. putting on crazy bitch. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then crazy town, that butterfly song. <laughs> I don't think yeah, they, I don't think they get song. that deep. So. <laughs> Not. Um, all right. So continuing with with that story, um, then you got that release, and so yeah, so it did the festivals, which was so much fun. And you know, once the distributors started getting involved. I was personally very uninvolved because because it's not your thing. It's not my thing yeah. to really do. You know, the executives were handling that, and eventually they they settled with Lionsgate and they made the deal with Lionsgate, and it was awesome. That's, it got like a, yeah. a deep. You know, now thanks to Lionsgate, like you said, it's on HBO, it's on Chiller all the time. You know, it's like on TV. Mm. So in its own way, it became the like late night cable slasher film that I that originally was it. like, yeah, this is yeah. what it should be. I briefly watched it because like when we, we became facebook friends like i saw that it was on hbo and i was like yeah. oh, whatever so i started watching it and it didn't like, like let me see what this dick did yeah, i'm just like <laughs> it just didn't like i probably wasn't paying attention and then like when i watched it last night i was like this is really good actually <laughs> thanks <laughs> man you know That's like awesome. it just it was exactly like what you wanted it to be yeah when you say when you were describing the comfort film like that that's I, exactly that's how what I, I was felt. trying to these do. are the slasher things I grew up on yeah, yeah. it had that vibe the it people that ask or the, the people that get that are like yeah blood night's awesome and then there's the people that don't that are like worst fucking movie ever so it's like all right whatever <laughs> well there's always those yeah fucks. there's always what are those guys those three guys what do they know nice yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> no definitely um so what kind of doors did something like this open up for you um not as many as I hoped <laughs> no I'm kidding yeah. like I, it just got me to I, I met like tons of cool like other indie filmmakers, directors, producers. I met like a lot of like festival people. I met like way more cool like horror film fans. Um, it just put me in a position to now approach other producers and studios and stuff like that, production companies, and be like, "Look, I've done this. Done this I know yeah. what I'm doing. I have you know a fan base, so it's." it's easier for me to have conversations. It doesn't make it that much easier to necessarily make a film, but I'm at least taken seriously for a conversation. People check out my concepts. Um, still in the indie, in the indie film world, it's still very tricky to get money, especially the type of money that you're looking for to make a good film. Like you can, you can get these smaller budgets and be like, yeah, I can bang out a film for this and it's going to kind of, you, you know, have that experience now, you know, right. You've been in, 
there. So, you know? so you kind of look at it like, do I want to do something really low budget? And maybe it'll be cool and get some kind of VOD thing or something like that, which there's nothing wrong with that. That's totally awesome. But if you want to do something bigger and better, you're, it just puts you in more of a position, I guess, to have a conversation with somebody that could potentially make that happen, mm-hmm. you know? All right. All right. So basically, you know, those are the doors that had opened up. Um, and then from there, like, I watched three of your shorts. That's what you have, right? Yeah. Okay. So what are they again? I actually have, I have four shorts. Um, you probably watched the Halloween trilogy, right? You watched I, Night of the Pumpkin, The House That Cried Blood, and Children of the Witch. God damn. That is a Halloween trilogy. Yeah. Yo. Blow my mind right now. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. they're all Halloween films. They're all they all happen on Halloween night. Um, and what was the fourth one? Home Sweet Home, which doesn't happen on Halloween night. Mm. It's sort of a bastard film. I couldn't, because I, what I did was I just Googled your name, and um, the three videos came up on Vimeo. Vimeo, right? Was it on my Vimeo page? Yeah. Or the Sideshow Pictures Vimeo yep. page? Home Sweet Home is on there. Hmm, I gotta check that out. Yes. So, uh, out of the three, my favorite is the pump, Night of the Pumpkin. So cool. There's something kind of like a Vestron about it. Mm, <laughs> we were talking about that. That is funny because w- the the beginning part there with, you go. Um, yeah. with sideshow <laughs> pictures. There you go. I took the Vestron logo. Okay, just, then no, that's why it's, it's Vestron's. Even the music. It's Vestron's music. No, don't sue us. I have no money. <laughs> um, it's Vestron's music, and I, it's exactly how the Vestron logo came yeah. on. I yeah. just changed it to Sideshow Pictures. That's awesome. And the, the Ben Cooper-looking costumes. Yeah, and, yeah. And now the animation on that. Ben that... Co- they were Ben Cooper in Collegeville. Okay. The animation was, was inspired sick. by, uh, I wanted it to be somewhere between like Creepshow 2 and Fat Albert's Halloween. And <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Who did that animation? Uh, John Morena of oh man, what is the name of his company now? Fuck, I'm such a dick. God damn it. John Morena is the artist. He's amazing. And right now on Instagram, if you follow, let me, can I look him up real yeah, quick? Yeah, I want to give him a proper shout out. By all means, we could talk about Ted Nugent again. Sure. <laughs> I'm sorry. John Morena is the artist's name. I just want to like send people to his Instagram. I think it's Area 52 Flicks. Yeah. Mm. Go to at Area 52 Flicks, F-L-I-X, on Instagram. And he's doing one short animation a week for the year. He's on like 26 or 27 now. And like they're super cool. He's like a really awesome motion graphic animator. And he combines like traditional elements with non-traditional and modern digital. So me and him conceptualized it. And I was like, I want it to look like... Creep show, Fat Albert's Halloween, um, and in typical fashion, usually the things I want are like impossible on the budget that we have. <laughs> so, like the first, I think thirty seconds when the pumpkin rises from the grave in the in the cartoon, he did that by hand, and that has like that very Fat Albert Halloween look. And then the rest, he went with the more traditional digital, just for for time and. I feel like I got to see Fat Albert's Halloween. Yeah, I never <laughs> it's one of the that. it's one of the you best. Got that shit oh, on the so that I don't, but it's one of the <laughs> best. It's on, it's on YouTube. Yeah. It's on YouTube. It's so <laughs> worth it. It's so good. I, I'm on there. I have Roseanne's best Halloween episodes. Though. Fat Albert's Halloween yeah. special is amazing. So yeah, so John Morena, um, fucking murdered that shit. Yeah. Like we talked about what it was gonna be, how it was gonna look, and he just kind of was like, "All right, here's what I'm gonna do," and he did it, and it's super dope. My my favorite line from that was. Uh, 
when the girl says, "What did you do to Roy's dick?" That was my favorite line. <laughs> so there's whole... a really funny joke uh-huh. behind that, which goes back to Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. Ah, oh, would you like to hear it? Yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. So me and a couple of my buddies uh, drove down to the Louisville Fright Fest in Kentucky because they had this uh, zombie film that was playing in the festival, and it was like a super cheap dirt cheap like feature film called night of the living heads which is about like these guys that smoke like a weird strain of weed and it turns them into (laughs) zombies it's not good but (laughs) but it's good so it was playing in kentucky so we were like fuck it let's drive down to kentucky and like that's correct so we did right we had this great road trip and then one night in kentucky they were doing a screening of friday the 13th part five with drunken redneck commentary so we're like we have to check that out i don't i can't even wrap my head around we're in kentucky and they're screening friday the 13th part five with drunken redneck commentary so as the movie's playing there's two fat drunk rednecks with microphones talking throughout the film oh they're there there it was set up by the theater it wasn't just two like guys in the back of a no no it was like set up that would just yell it would have been amazing (laughs) that would have been great uh, so it was these two guys, and they were, like, hilarious. Like, they were just pointing out all the funny shit about the film. So, again, spoiler alert, it's not Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 5. Sorry spoiler, for anyone that yeah. didn't know that. <laughs> it's, it's the uh, paramedic, Roy. So, so, oh, there's this, so there's the man. scene in the end where Tommy Jarvis... It's on my DVR, too, I think. Tommy damn. Jarvis stabs... <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Jarvis stabs Roy like right in the like groin area. Mm-hmm. So so the so the redneck was like, "No, don't stab Roy's dick." And like <laughs> So wait. So going forward, so going forward, in the end when Tommy Jarvis hallucinates the real Jason Voorhees uh-huh. in the hospital, one of the rednecks was like, what did you do to my dick? You know? <laughs> but then the other redneck was like, no, that wasn't his dick. It was Roy. And then the redneck was like, what did you do to Roy's dick? And we all started like, we just lost oh, it. It man. was just hilarious. That's so awesome. then when I was writing Night of the Pumpkin, I was like, yeah, we have to throw in what did you do to Roy's dick? <laughs> and that's where God that line, damn. That's where that's that line awesome. comes from. That's the fun. Of, what did you do to Roy's dick? <laughs> that's the fun part of doing this stuff. You know, yeah. like do you get to do. I fun. think that adds to the comfort element because mm-hmm. you put in that stuff that's like fun and funny. Yeah. But back to Fat Albert's Halloween. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but is, is was there any folklore in that pumpkin one? Um, well, yeah. I mean, like there's that sort of um, urban legendy opening where he's yes. like 100 years ago mm-hmm. tonight, which was uh, Ted Gagan worked on the screenplay with me. Um who is, is he a, the guy that did Sweatshop? He did Sweatshop, and he recently directed We Are Still Here, and he has a film. Oh, did he do that? Yeah, love oh, that. Get the okay. fuck out of here! I and, didn't know that the yeah. same guy. Yeah, same dude. And then you got um, special thanks on there. I saw on, your on page. We Are Still Here. Yeah, nice. And and Sweatshop. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he didn't direct Sweatshop, but he wrote it. He directed We Are Still Here, and then he has a film doing the festival circuit now called Mohawk, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm sure it's cool. Um, so Ted wrote Night of the Pumpkin with me, actually a few people, me, George Taramis, who wrote Night of the Living Heads, and this dude, Mike Russo, came up with the storyline for Night of the Pumpkin, and then me and Ted worked on the script, Ted wrote, like, a really cool first draft, and then I took the first draft and, like, overwrote on it, and we just had this, like, awesome, ridiculous film that is Night of the Pumpkin, so... 
the opening urban legend aspect is the old man in the pumpkin patch telling the kids, you know, it's almost midnight, and I don't even remember what he says, and he tells them the story of the pumpkin. So that's like the urban legend yeah. aspect. And then and then it goes into the typical, you know, I love I love playing on the stupid you know the the standard typical horror movie things where you like two kids you know in blood night they go to the mary hatchet's grave with a ouija board it's like duh and then in night of the pumpkin i don't know if you noticed they're sitting at mary hatchet's grave and mm. they summon the demon of the pumpkin and again it's just these stupid horror movie things that in real life nobody's going to do i like to put them in because they're cliche and then like sort of use that cliche to my advantage in a sense you know and how long after the movie did you start doing the shorts? Um, I guess technically, I don't know, like two years later. Two years later. Yeah, because I, I did like a festival run with Blood Knight for like a year, and then it got released, and then I started getting bored, and I was like, I got to do something in the meantime. So I just wanted to do that and release a Halloween film every Halloween just to keep sideshow pictures like a lot oh yeah you know? actually because at the end of every single one it said happy halloween right right so yeah. it was like chronological like was it three years in a row then yeah it was three years in a row fuck it totally yeah. Yeah. what was the first one night of the pumpkin night was of the, the pumpkin one. and then the second one house of cry blood and then the last one children of the witch which you could tell the difference um between the first and last like i feel like you i don't know i felt like it was just I learned how to make a film. <laughs> but it's funny because I think the first one is my favorite. Me too. Yeah. But the last one That's had cool. the most yeah. shit. Like it right. had like. The last one had the biggest budget of the three. That's what it felt you know? like to Like me. it was the most ambitious. Like, like, cause my thing was I want to do this every year, but I don't want to just jerk off every year. I want to like, I'm going to do one. All right. Now I want this one to be better in some aspect. And I want this one to be even better. So. You know, so it's funny because Night of the Pumpkin, what I did with Night of the Pumpkin was sort of what I originally intended to do with Blood Knight, where in the sense that I wanted to make a bad movie on purpose. And not that Night of the Pumpkin's a bad movie, but you can see like with the Vestron opening and the VHS FBI warning, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted it to be, this is that sort of corny, you know, 80s straight to video, ridiculous premise, almost a trauma film, but not quite, you know what I mean? Like... So it's like with Night of the Pumpkin, in a sense, I didn't care as much as I cared with Blood Knight, where I was like, fuck it, let me just, let's make it ridiculous. I want cheesy lines, and I want it somewhat self-aware, and yeah, I want a pumpkin biting off someone's dick, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, those, yeah. those sort of ridiculous things that I- Forgot about that one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Ro actually- Roy's dick. That's uh, completely- Wait, you watched it on Vimeo or YouTube? Vimeo. I did right, YouTube. Good. Oh, YouTube, there's uh, no dick. Oh, no, I saw the dick squirt. All right, good. Yeah, uh, yeah. The yeah, dick good. squirted. Good. I saw titties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I watch mean, it on Vimeo. It's totally uh, unedited. Yeah, like it's. Uh, I mean, you have, you you have really, you know, not the <laughs> ugliest women yeah. on there. You know, so good, good for now, that. Now, how's the cry blood? One of the girls, correct me if I'm wrong, was on Survivor. Yeah, Andrea Belke. She's like a huge Survivor person, no. which I didn't know. I don't watch Survivor, and. I just cast her because she was awesome. Like, yeah. She had a great look, and she was like super cool, and she was into it. And I was like, "All right, perfect. Let's let's get her." And then uh, while we were on set, somebody was like, "Oh, she's in Survivor," and I was like, "No way!" And my dad is a huge Survivor fan, yeah. so it was cool because I got him her autograph, and That's it was awesome. like super cool. Yeah, That's yeah, cool she's shot. awesome. Yeah. 
Um, and is is the goal like when you do a short sometimes to like maybe like fish it to see if somebody will make like a full length? When I did those shorts, that was literally not my goal at all. They were literally like I was like I just want to do these because it's fun and cool and it's what I want to do. You know. Um, now I I kind of want to make a feature out of the house that cried blood. So I want to actually cut that down into like a proof of concept and pitch it um, at some point. I'm pitching another feature right now, and I'm talking to some people. So that's taken up a majority of my time and attention in the past year. Excuse me. But, yeah, like it wasn't my goal when I made them. My goal was literally I want to make cool films for Halloween. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And like you said, to just keep the name out. Just get them out and like just definitely. have people be like, oh, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, you know, of course. Because like, I, I, when it comes to Halloween for me, like I have like a, a strict list of like I need to watch this, I need to watch this, I need to yeah, watch this. Yeah. And I wanted to add my short films to that sort so, of genre. Not that I watch my own films, but I would hope someone somewhere yeah, out there is like, oh, I got to watch Night of the Pumpkin this year. Yeah. You know? are, are, are you working with Paul Travers on anything? I feel like uh, said- No. I could have sworn he said he mentioned you. So years ago, when he started doing Old 37, um, he reached out to me and he sent me the script and he was talking to me about maybe directing it. And I read it and I thought it was really cool, but I wanted to do like a radical rewrite on it. Like I wanted to like set it in the early 70s in like a desert town. I almost wanted to turn it into like The Wraith meets like, I don't know, like a desert town like that and have these two gangs. I don't know. My ideas, I think, were like way too far out there for what he was looking for. So yeah. we just never really worked on it. Interesting. From there, he just went on and like did his own thing, did which is thing. cool. Yeah, well, he worked with that director that basically took his name off of it afterwards. So we had that discussion because he was on. Oh, really? Yeah, he was like episode 11 or some shit. Yeah. Paul was on episode 11? Or the director was? No, this. Oh, yeah, not the director, Paul. Oh, oh like, cool. Paul, yeah, Paul's a personal friend, so definitely. I was oh, like, I didn't know that. Yeah, so, like, because when he made the movie, um, he's been moving around so much with Dana and stuff. Yeah. So when we started doing this, I'm like, you got to come on. You got to tell the story. Because I remember when he, he wrote the script, and we went to, like, fucking Brooklyn, and they were doing, like, a reading, and it was just so funny. And then one day, like, years went on, and she started her PR company, and then the movie got made, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. That's awesome, yeah. I'm like, you fucking did it. <laughs> so, um we asked you to, um, you know, like here, we like talking about influences. Um, right. We like talking about, you know, the shit that we grew up on because it's fun. It just like opens up like conversation. Like you said, it just, um, I don't know, it's fun. You know, I like it. So uh, we asked you to name five albums that shaped you and five movies yeah. that make you basically do what you do. So, uh, w- which one do you want to do first? Um, you tell me. It's your show. <laughs> it's my show. Prime music. Let's switch to the music. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's switch right. to the music. Let's go to music. So, I was having a hard time coming up with just five albums, so I figured if I focused my mindset into what I felt like was a transitional and um, developing time for me that sort of formed me into who I would be as Absolutely. a modern person. Yeah. So damn Yankees. <laughs> exactly. So I've restricted this to that sort of period of time but but I also took it as like what do I still listen to very frequently now? So these are my 5 in random order. 
Do you want them just like straight out, or you want to like go? No, just give us one, and we'll we'll fucking we'll chat it up because that's what we do. All right. (laughs) So I'm gonna say Nirvana and Cesticide. Oh, out of out of all of them, I'll tell you this: probably the one that I listen to the most still. Nice. Um, I like the noise rock. For for me, Incesticide is like the truest Nirvana album. Like if you. Nevermind is awesome, but it's completely the Polished. oddball of their lexicon. Absolutely. You know, it's totally the oddball Nirvana album. Yes. So if you only know Nevermind, great album, but you're not getting Nirvana. Um, you're getting shades of Nirvana. Yes. Bleach is super awesome, but it's basically them covering Fang. Have you ever heard Fang? No. If yeah. you put on a Fang album, specifically Landshark, you'll be like, oh my God, this is Bleach. Okay. Um, and then Outcesticide is the barrier but i feel like incest aside was where like kirk cobain and the whole band was just like let's just fucking be ourselves and here's what we are yeah. incest aside like hairspray queen yeah. totally aneurysm. So arrow zeppelin aneurysm right exactly like that last half like the last like and those five are mostly b-sides right they, yeah they the whole album yeah. was like b-sides and covers yeah yeah and and i love is simple and stupid as it is, and and the cover, it's a cover. Son of a gun. Son of a gun's Ooh. amazing. Son of yeah, a gun, yeah. definitely. No, I mean, sure. incesticide is Molly's um, lips. Uh, uh, you know, Great I meant song. in utero. Did I say incesticide was here? I meant in utero. <laughs> 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 but no, I love incesticide. But in utero is what I meant to say. Was the was the and amal- cut <laughs> was the amalgamation of of those albums. I take it back. I hate it in Europe. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's <laughs> talk about Foo Fighters instead. Holy no. shit. All right, let no, me no, switch gears. No, no, for me, Incesticide is the, incesticide is the, the bridge, is the bridge right. between uh, between Nevermind and they both and saw the it in. Cut me some slack. <laughs> <laughs> it was... It, it made sense. Like, I wonder what... You but know, in utero has that rawness. Yes, it has and both. noise. It has like you know, uh, and some of that quiet pop, absolutely that, that Pixies aspect, like dumb. Yeah, they were huge Pixies yeah. fans too. They're upfront about it. Yeah, scent, scentless. Uh, if you, scentless Apprentice yeah. is one of the greatest. Mm. If you listen to Surfer Rosa, the Pixies Ooh. album, the drums on that album sound exactly like the drums on Incesticide, on In Utero. I've I said it, it again. I've said it before on here. Yeah. I'll just go. It's a hipster brew. Yeah. I've said it before. I'll just get in my Uber and go. They talked about Smells Like Teen Spirit, and they were like, we just wanted to write a Pixie song. And so, right. yeah. Um, in Utero is probably my least favorite out of all of them. I hear that a lot. Um, but that's, it's, that's what I expect coming from a Halloween fan. Yeah. No, yeah that's <laughs> a non-Uber taken Halloween fan. Why is, uh, why is in utero your least? <clears throat> I feel, I don't know, just the songs, you know, were good. Like, it's a good record. Yeah. I could listen to it. Um, you know, serve the serve. Like, all those songs are really great. Um, Milk It, like, has that. Noise, dirtiness, like anarchy, to it. yeah. Um, but Scentless, Scentless Apprentice is just so yeah, fucking amazing. And that was the song that Dave Grohl wrote. He wrote the opening riff. The opening riff, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was like the first time that he let him. He was like, all right, you know, <laughs> not just Monkey Wrench song. <laughs> we'll try this one. So, um, well, prior to that, what did Dave Grohl do for the Marigold? Uh, wow, yeah. Which was never released. It's yeah. like a demo. No, it's like, but it's like, you know, they're one of those bands that have like a hundred unreleased songs. Totally, yeah. And um, they probably all should remain unreleased, but like, <laughs> not all, but like not a, lot all of, of them. a lot of it is just 
crap. Yeah, pretty much. And don't I fucking love Nirvana. Like, don't get me wrong. Even in his youth, that's a good one. Even in his youth is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And they were so simple. Oh, Dive is on Incesticide. Dive is on Incesticide. I think you might like Incesticide better. (laughs) Dive is one of my favorite. I I love Incesticide, but I but I I I really love In Utero. What's your favorite song on In Utero? Probably Scentless Apprentice. That's on Incesticide. No, that's on In Utero. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. <laughs> All right, cool. What's that? What's number? What's the other one? Uh, okay, so again, these are in random order, but I would say the uh, the Minor Threat collection. There, there are three records combined. The, you know, twelve songs. Yeah, Minor Threat. Such a like. It, it's like it's the first uh, punk I was ever exposed to, you punk too? and or hardcore. Yeah, mm. and uh, it was given to me on an old mixtape, and it was like the second I heard it, I was like, "What is this? It's amazing!" Like, yeah, just to this day. I can I can I've never grown tired of listening to a single song on it and so like encompassing. We're we're running parallel because the same thing like Nirvana was pretty early for me, um, and then Minor Threat like yeah. that was like the the left field one because I actually just... got into Minor uh, I got into Nirvana first, and it was only through hearing Kurt Cobain talk about punk where I was kind of like, what the fuck is punk exactly? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then Minor Threat came into my life, and I was like, oh, okay. Also, skate culture. Yeah, Minor yeah. Threat was huge for skate culture. Yeah. Um, like, all those videos, like, you would watch old skate videos. They always have, like, Salad Days playing or something. They yeah. would just It would just be, like, a mixtape of everything, like, from, like, Dinosaur Jr. to, like, Tribe Called Quest. Dinosaur Jr. You're stuff. just like, yeah. holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Like, what is this? And then you go look, and it's, like, Far Side from West Coast to, like, just all these songs that were just not... I, I don't know. They just weren't being played anywhere else, but, you know, I loved it. I think yeah. that all also kind of goes into what I was saying earlier about that, like, sort of, like, misfit culture that we all kind of... We are misfit culture. Somehow Absolutely. ended up being a part of. And, like, this is what I think why Nirvana was, was huge for me and what I look at now is, like, it's like in a, like once Nirvana started getting big and like the whole like mid and late nineties alternative was like grunge and alternative was a thing. I kind of had this sense of like, yeah, we won. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there was a brief that, moment you, in time because you look at yeah. every but you look at everything now and everything is like sort of like you know inauthentic authenticity. But like yeah. everybody like wants to be punk. Everybody wants to be alternative. Like every yeah. every kid like kind of wants to be the misfit. Like it's no longer it's cool to be the cool kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like now, the cool kid is the misfit kid. You know what I mean? That so it, is. It got like flipped inside out in a way. That was True. the that was the point. Um, I'm trying to remember. Maybe like, I guess it was like eighth or ninth grade, and I remember vividly like being into certain bands, and it felt like almost overnight. Like it's not even like I'm not even making it up. Like I feel like overnight. Like, I went to school the next day, and they're like, oh, what is, you know, Cypress Hill? Or, like, what are these bands? I feel like the night they debuted Smells Like Teen Spirit. I went home to watch the video. Yeah. Right? It was like yeah. when they would do, when MTV would world premiere videos at, like, 7 o'clock on Tuesday. Yeah. Or I felt whatever. Like, Shout out to Tabitha Soren. Yeah. <laughs> I think cha- things did change quick. Well, was a I, I mean, you don't have you know? to go into the, I mean, obviously Nirvana fucking changed the music world, you know what I mean? Because prior to that, it was Firehouse and like <laughs> Guns N' Roses. Love of a lifetime, that. baby. Whoa, you know? hold on a second. Did you just say Firehouse and Guns N' Roses? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave it at fucking Firehouse. Fucking <laughs> hair metal, like, shit. like <laughs> fire, Firehouse and Bang Tango. <laughs> Dangerous toys. Enough's enough. Yeah. yeah, but like Guns N' Roses. Well, all right, look, I'm just. <laughs> 
So um, minor threat, did you go straight edge for a minute? Did you get that full <laughs> into it? I did. I like there was a brief point Couple when I was weeks. like, oh, I want to be straight edge, but it didn't last. It, it really didn't last. It, didn't it, just, take. it just wasn't me. You Wait, know? you can't fuck other people? <laughs> yeah, fuck. I was yeah. like, so I can't drink beer or fuck, and both of those sort of make each other happen. Yeah. So like, what? <laughs> like, what's gonna accomplish anything yeah. for me not fucking? Yeah. Not gonna. <laughs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. They shouldn't have left that. I one can't out. get laid sober. Yeah. <laughs> they could have. That movement could have stuck if they uh, yeah. they cut out the fucking part. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, that, you know what? I cannot drink. I can yeah. deal with that. Yeah. It's almost like being like a priest. Like, I didn't smoke anyway. You know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, me I was neither. okay with that. Yeah, me neither. So like, like, yeah, cigarettes are gross. I can't even buy beer. Why do I even want that? Wait, what? Wait, <laughs> right, in the last part? <laughs> I can't. You know, like that. the priesthood, like that would blow up if they just like overlooked like the fucking. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Basically, all life's problems can be overlooked. <laughs> you overlook the fucking. Do world. you fuck, man? Awesome. All right, cool. All right, you're in. Cool. Yeah, definitely. So, what's the next record? Um, Dead Kennedy's Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. Yes. Well, you can talk to him about Love that. that. Which I, <laughs> Sam hates. I, I don't hate him. I just hate his voice. Yeah. <laughs> he, so, the the like, dead milkman guy. Oh, his voice milkman. is all right. Yeah. I, I love Jello Biafra's voice. It's so for not me, this, right. this also came at a similar time. Like the, for me, dead. these are albums of like sort of self-discovery in a way, right. where you know, like I was, I, I was like branching out into and like similar to like what we were saying, before, like what I was saying about like how like things flip. Like they, I remember specifically, there was a point when like remember we always carry around like tapes in our backpacks and shit mm-hmm. like that, and like people literally i remember one point making fun of me because they never heard of the bands i was listening to but then like a few years later it was like oh you listen to really cool music like it's cool that you did like you went from being like if you listen to bands that like most people didn't hear of you were a fucking loser Mm. but then it was like oh you're listening to shit that i don't even know that might be cool so there was somewhere once you get older somewhere there was like a shift in perception yeah Mm -hmm. and it wasn't on our end like the misfits remained misfits so to speak and it's like the perception around us changed. You know? What oh, I mean? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Which definitely. is awesome. Yeah, you know? and and it was like the coming of age. We just want to be accepted. For me. So <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I wanted to be accepted, but I, I did like you know I like I, I like still everything. Haven't been accepted. Well, yeah. I, I I would say you know like I know there's that whole like I never wanted to be accepted, man. And I'm not saying that's you, but like I could say honestly. There was a point when I was like, yeah, I would like to be accepted, but since I am not, I'm Fuck just going to do whatever I want to do. And yeah. then in in doing so, you find acceptance. Like, that's what led me into hardcore. That's what led me into the hardcore Yeah, I wanted to be accepted like that. by people you know that I mean? respected. Sure. Right. But, like, if you, like, it's like, it's this general need for acceptance one way or another. And I think, like, when you're younger, you don't realize enough that, like, oh, I don't have to do what everybody's doing just to do it. Yes. So I think we all kind of start out in this sort of, like, I don't know, it's like the public education system or the way you're socialized starts you out craving acceptance, right? And then, like, you come to a point where you're like, well, I don't want acceptance on a broad spectrum. I just want to be, like, into what I'm into and find the like-minded individuals, you know? Yeah. I just wanted to, to be white just once <laughs> to see what it was like, you know? Just for a week. That's it, you know? See what happens. Guilty of being white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tom Mariah would get shit for singing that. But I'm yeah. like, you're not even white, so who cares? Yeah, but he changed it to, what, guilty of being right? Isn't yeah, that, that was fucking weird. It's like, way to go, dick. Yeah, yeah. I know. Way, way yeah. to be a dick, Tom exactly. Aryan. <laughs> <No>. we, <laughs> we, yeah. Tom Chilean Aryan. <laughs> 
Um, all right, so yeah, Dead Kennedys. So, so for me, yeah. that was around the same time of self discovery, and it was like this all sort of. So Nirvana and Minor Threat were earlier. Dead Kennedys came about. I was at Mr. Cheapo's record exchange, mm-hmm. and just flipping through. Was it the yeah. logo? No, it was just flipping through used shit, and I was like, "Oh, this is a buck, and it looks cool." Yeah. Done, and I just Great grabbed record. it and I took it home. And so you hate Jello Biafra's voice, but for me. <laughs> I had I never. Hate it. I just I, can't get into it. I honestly, when I put on the Dead Kennedys album right. again, I was like, I've never heard anything like this. Like it was like sort of tribal, but surfy, yeah, yes. weird, yeah, absolutely comical, yeah. offensive. I, I said it a million times. East Do you know what I mean? Guitar tone was different than everybody. Yeah, else's like there's the just bizarre reverb, but you have this like tribal drum sure. beat, and you have this like nah, 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 like the and way even jealous, the voice you know? aside, the lyrics are profound yeah like i was literally like i've never heard anything like this even the the way the recording sounded right it just was just i was like there's something here it's a good sounding record for a punk yeah different it was completely different right i give it that holiday in cambodia has that like late 60s like spy movie sounds to it you know what i mean like like he had that dick dale kind of yeah that like weird surfy reverb yeah so bizarre but so cool love it so that that was one for me. Um, next, I would say Nine Inch Nails' "Downward Spiral." Mm, that's a good one. Which was like go see them like, at Riot Fest. Can't wait. <laughs> for me, I had uh, I had like broken up with a high school love of my life, and like this album was like so much pain and anger, and it was just like oh, yeah. amazing, and it was just like electric and like hard guitars and drums, but soft, beautiful at the same time, and it was just this. You picking that Incredible. record makes me feel like I'm slightly older than you. <laughs> you know? Because, like, to me, I'm thinking, I'm like... Pretty Hate Machine. I'm pretty thinking Hate Pretty Hate Machine. Hate machine and, Pre- and That's not what you meant. I Is love it Pretty <laughs> Hate Machine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. And, and Broken. <laughs> My favorite song had, like, a hole yeah. on it. <laughs> Wait a no. minute. No, you know, Pretty Hate Machine, amazing. Totally, I discovered that first, mm-hmm. and I was totally into it. Um, but I think that... We dance here. <laughs> it w- I was like, this is like more of like yes, um, aggro. This is more of like what turned like what what broken was. Yeah, this definitely like ministry kind of right. Well, you know, it. I like yeah. again. This is sort of a bridging album because I was into Pretty Hate Machine and I was into Ministry, and when this, I don't know, this is just like again, it just affected me. It, it, I I think it's that similar thing of like I've never heard anything like this. Yeah, because it's very distinct from Pretty Hate Machine. Oh, absolutely, and. But it's so much harder and violent heresy. and aggressive. It works just on as heresy a whole alone. Album too, like yeah. it's almost like it's not a concept album. But I really I don't also isolate the tracks this on this it. might it be weird. Like I'm similar. like back then, like I had just started like smoking weed. I don't smoke weed or anything like that anymore. But I went through like a period of like getting high and shit like that. And this album came to me early when I first started getting high, and I was like. Whoa! When you get high and listen to albums, it's totally different. <laughs> and, it's fucking you know, awesome. It, it yeah. is true. <laughs> right, right. I was because so, I, I was so doing the So this was one of the first albums that I clearly remember listening to high and just being like, "Holy shit!" And the same thing, like the lyrics on this album reached me more than the Pretty Hate Machine lyrics. Um, you're right, more than Pretty Hate Machine. You know, even though. Uh, Something I Can Never Have was like spot, oh, you know, yes. incredible, yeah. incredible song. And then the use of it on uh, uh, Natural, Natural Born, Born Killers. Killers man. Uh, unbelievable. That mixed with like Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, this is just, I had to pick five. So these are five from a specific point in my life. Solid. Cool. Um, the last so, yeah. one? 
Um, so this is a little bit later 90s, but Neutral Melk Hotel, Airplane uh, Over the Sea. See, me and you. Here's where I get hipstered. Something You want to call me a hipster? That's <laughs> I love I've never heard them, so I can't So, so yeah. I picked this up last summer at Urban Outfitters. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spit my coffee out. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is so good. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, again, this was, um, I actually, this was right after I graduated high school. Maybe 98. Mm -hmm. I graduated in 96, but I got into this. Right, so we're the same age. Yeah. I'm 39. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Yeah, I'm right there, too. I, I got <laughs> <laughs> I got this album maybe the following summer or the next summer. I don't remember exactly. I think the album came out in 97, let's say. 98. It came out in 98? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I got into it maybe 99 because it had been out for a while. And it's not aggressive. It's like compared to the other albums that I listed here, it's the complete opposite. But it's this beautiful, poetic Amazing. concept album that touches this like nostalgic part of you. And like I don't know, it's just again it's just another album that transitioned me to that's that idea of like I've never heard anything like this. But for me that album also has tones of Nirvana in it. There's tones of the you know, in certain elemental senses I can hear nirvana in a sense i can hear the pixies a little you know what i'm saying like there are those little elemental things that are familiar but then bringing it to another like time and place altogether. i love that record it's one of my yeah. favorite albums of all time it's um, incredible and a bucket list was seeing them i saw them like a few years ago in brooklyn i bought tickets they were playing at the uh opera house in poughkeepsie and uh, there was like a snowstorm in February, and I just decided not to go last minute. And then I had tickets again for a show in Pennsylvania. What's the matter with fucking New York? Jesus and I Christ. similar, <laughs> they sold out too fast. Mm. And then I decided not to go again. And then I did have an opportunity to go to one of the Brooklyn shows, I think at the schoolhouse. But I felt, I'm like a super weird person. And like I was like, you know what, if I go now, like 15 years later or whatever it is, it's not the same. So I just didn't go. They didn't disappoint. I know, I know. I have a live recording of it, and yeah, it's they, incredible. Yeah, they didn't disappoint, and, and that record came to me. Um, Do you know they recorded some of this on Long Island? Mm, Him and uh, Ju Julian Costner, I think, who's the bass player on the album, uh, they were living with his grandmother in New Hyde Park. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to New Hyde Park. <laughs> um, I was reading NME magazine in, like, 2001, and it was like I'm I'm like I'm an indie indie rock dude. That's sure. what I grew up on. I wasn't into. I hardcore. wouldn't have guessed that you being a Nutramilk Hotel fan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fucking hipster. So be, like the the music in my life that was huge is indie rock and hip hop. Those are the two. Um, and I was reading NME, and I because I bought it because it was like the top 100 indie rock records of all time. So in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, cool. Like, let me get it. And number one was Neutral Milk Hotel. Nice. And this was like 2001, and I was like, huh, I've never heard of this record, ever, in my whole fucking life. I'm like, how has how three, four years gone by, and I've never even- He like had like a panic attack and just yeah, disappeared just, from cause the I was just Because I was just thinking like, you know, pavement, built a spill, or whatever. Yeah. And it was Neutral Milk Hotel, so I got the record, and from then on, like, I mean, it's just fucking so good. It's just oh, amazing. I assume you've heard Avery Island as well, Yeah, of course. Right? Yep. I love Avery Island, too. It's it's not Airplane, but yes. it also is an incredible yep, album. definitely. So, in Holland 1945, their, yeah. it, that's, that's the best. You have the picture disc? I have that little picture disc on vinyl. It was, like, only released in London. It's amazing. So, it's on one side, it's Holland 1945. On the flip side, it's a song called Engine, 
that's a live recording that they did in like Piccadilly Circus. Okay. It's amazing, dude. Yeah. It's like it's a, it's a seven inch that's like the picture is like that old like carnival painting kind of shit, and it has this like fold out game board with these like weird gest- jesters like court jesters. Yeah. It's just uh, awesome. It's just like so cool. Well, that's a good pick. <laughs> yeah, I got to check that out. Definitely. So that's my five. Um, five, fantastic. Five albums. Five yeah. albums that make Frank who he is. Certainly. And uh, now we're going to flip over to movies. Five movies. Okay, yes. this will be a good list, I think. And you um, wanted to keep it to horror, you said. I had to keep it to horror, and I also similarly kept it to the similar theme with the albums, where these are five movies that, when I saw them, was sort of like transitional in a sense of like, I've never seen anything like this. This is something's here and I'm turning into a person in a way, you know? So again, random order, but I'm going to start with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is like my favorite of all time. Um, I think it's pretty obvious just that like the rawness of it and the, just the simplicity of the concept and just how truly badass it is without even showing a lot of blood, but just the, the simple brilliance of like, um, you know, for like 20 minutes beforehand, every shot of, uh, what's her name? Not Sally. What's the other girl? Not Marilyn Burns, the other chick. Whatever her name is, the brunette. Um, fuck, what's her She's name? not Sally and Franklin. Of course. Franklin. Well, guy's the other, so annoying. The other chick, not Sally, who I can't think of her name. Uh, for like 20 minutes before, every shot of her is from behind. So you're just looking at her open shirt back. You're looking at her bare, empty back the whole time. And then next thing you know, they cut to him carrying her to the hook. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, bare skin is going on that hook right now. Like, so it's like this very subtle, you know, if you go back and rewatch it, like you really, she's almost never shot from the front. When she's throwing up on the thing, it's these close-ups of her back. You see the sweat beating on her back. She's walking up to the house. So it's this little brilliant direction moment where it's like, yes, bear, like you're being beat in the head with the idea that she has a bare back. Mm-hmm. And then you see him carrying her towards the meat hook. And it's like, they don't even show it, but you just know that idea of her going down on a metallic hook is now going on her bare back. You know what I mean? Very interesting. Like yeah, all yeah, those little things. So it has this like amazing psychological effect. And isn't, the way- it, isn't it amazing? Like, because everyone cites that scene. Um, like you, you figure, nineteen seventy four. Here's this movie, yeah. fucking gets made, and like the aftershock or fucking people like us that just like to this day like remember that right. Scene it's like so a forty year sure. aftershock. Yeah, it's exactly. like still like and not a drop of blood in that scene. Yeah, yeah. It's all psychological effect. There's so many. The scene with the door sliding and the hammer to the head. Oh yeah, so many in of that course. film that stick with you like yeah. really vivid. Yeah, shots, and they're so simple. Very yeah, simple. Yeah. Just from the Larroquette voiceover. Um, yeah, like, amazing. I, I, love I always I, forget oh, Larroquette. I love it. Shout out to Dan Field. I like to watch it and then and then immediately like turn on my recording of the Night Court yeah. opening yeah. music. No. <laughs> Dan Dan Field. Shout out to Marky Post, too. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's of so course. hot. Killer body on her. Mm-hmm. Look. Still. Um, so, yeah, even just down to like how Leatherface's mask is, you know, it's like it has that hard tanned leather look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, it just, it sticks with you. So so that is number one. Then obviously Friday the thirteenth for obvious reasons. It's for me it's like everything. Number one. It's number the first one, yeah. Yeah. Well if if I could I would like to say one through four. Okay. But if I'm gonna pick one film, let's just go with part one. 
but just Friday the Thirteenth in general is very influential to me. Mm-hmm. But I could talk about one because I just think the the warmth and grain of the film in and of itself, the aesthetics of it. It's like it's like the first '80s slasher. It's literally 1980. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and it just really set Trailblazer. the tone for a decade yeah. of slasher films. And um, the first four are definitely like the cohesive part, right? You know, like it could end there. There could be totally. no other. Like, if the final chapter truly was the final chapter, it, it would, would be, be amazing, insanely satisfying. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and. Um, I like it a lot. Yeah. That's the one like uh and and the weak link to me. Funny out of the four. I do you have a weak say. link? I do. Number 3. No, that I was my weak link. I would agree. Uh, right? Yeah. No, I'm going to say incesticide. No. Nice. <laughs> I I could see why You're in a plane. You're getting thrown out. <laughs> I could see why you would say 3. You could only pick 3. Why do you say 3? You go first. Um after rewatching them a lot through the years, um, and I just saw three at Videology in Brooklyn nice. with the 3D glasses. Nice. It hurts. It is kind of How's annoying. How was your migraine after that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was okay. Um, I just I came to the realization that out of the four, it's my least favorite. I just, I don't know. It just seemed like way less of a story. Sure. You know, four had its story. Two had its story. Four is very well. Plus, keep in mind, like I think you're saying too, and I'm speaking for you, but uh, like we like part three. You're just asking us to pick, like, no, no, I get it. I get it. Like, I do like the film, but if you're asking me to rate those ones, if if it's so, if I had to pick a weakness of those four, I would say part two. And again, before you throw things at me. Is it the flash, long flashback in the beginning? No, that's that totally fine. Time. No, I'm cool mm-hmm. with that. That's like standard slasher fare. Okay. The, the first 20 minutes is the is the it's last long. 20 minutes of the, <laughs> of, the, of, the of the previous <laughs> it's film. It's like the first. No, I'm gonna no, tell you about them. It's, it's fucking three long. hours later. Like, yeah, the first half of Friday the 13th Part Two is Part One. Uh-huh. But um, get past all that, and a, it, it's kind of a carbon copy of the first film. It's just. A new group of counselors. This time it is actually Jason. And again, I love it. It's awesome. The wheelchair down the stairs, amazing. That's a great kill. Oh, so good. And if you watch that scene, it's it, it's such well-directed suspense. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and the ambience of the storm coming and blah, blah, blah. Amazing. So, so, so I'm not saying this in a bad way. I'm just saying I could live without it. Right. The, the, the main purpose for me of the second one is that it establishes that Jason is alive and that he's obsessed and he has that he's obsessed with his mother. Mm-hmm. And so, he also has a black fingernail. Yes, yes he does. Yep. That, and that always freaks me out. Me too. And his weapon of choice is a pickaxe, mm-hmm. which is the weapon of choice of Daniel Harris in Blood Knight. Nice. Yes. Another Friday. Ah, look at nice. you. Yeah. What was the other one that you mentioned? Uh, Graveyard Gus is wearing crazy Ralph. Crazy Ralph shit. Yeah. Look at this motherfucker. <laughs> You're God all damn. doomed. You're all doomed. He's the voiceover. Crazy Ralph does the voiceover in the beginning of part seven. That really cool, um, there's a legend around here. Oh, no shit. Really? Killer Fuck, man. You are yeah, good. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm not that good. I'm you got to come back. We're <laughs> have a fucking sleepover or something. read a lot of crap. <laughs> What's your um, sleepover? <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, for me, part two, 
is a carbon copy of the first with 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 minor element shifts. And I think the girls are super hot in part two. And like, there's that That's you know, valid. there's the great skinny yeah. dip in the lake scene, which is like iconically an '80s slasher film. You know, gotta have it. Um, Who's the hottest chick at the first Nobody packed four? bathing suits. The hottest chick ever at these camps. <laughs> the hottest Nobody chick out of the first Not four. one bathing suit. <laughs> hottest chick in the whole series. No, 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 no the first, first four. four. First four. I got Judy Ronson. I gotta go with your girl. Who's that? Who's that? The girl, she was in Weird Science. That's the one. She does the nighttime. Oh, she's gorgeous, no doubt. However, she's very fine. She's my one. She's totally delicious. I concur. However, (laughs) I'm going to go back to Final Girl in part three. Chrissy, whatever her name is, is Mm. so super hot. She's adorable. She doesn't get naked. But she's like just everything about her, like the sound of her voice, her hair. I might have to go with plus parts. She was in different strokes. Yes, part six, the girl that's uh, in the Winnebago. Just hold that to the end of the song. She's come on, court, come on, court. Yeah, and then bang into Alice Cooper. Yeah, totally. She's super hot too. I like her. But if we want to go the whole series, I think Pam from Part Five is also really hot. Only in the oh, the, counts, the counselor, right? Yeah, yeah. Part the five, she's trick. running in the rain. Yeah. Well, I said, yeah, I said the first so The mascara's hot. running. Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Mascar- Maybe it's Maybelline. Mascara running, like white button-up yeah. shirt, soaking wet, gorgeous. Yeah. Screaming, crying. like Going so after hot. Dudley. Picks up the chainsaw. Nah. Reggie the Reckless. Did Reggie, I ever, Reggie the Reckless had that bitch scream. Yes. Eee! I couldn't even fucking So here's my theory on Reggie the Reckless, a.k.a. Dudley. So this is interesting to interject for a moment. Um... I'm also a huge Different Strokes fan, right? And there's multiple Friday the 13th references <laughs> in Different Strokes. Um, wow. I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe it's like a little play because Dudley was in was in it and Nancy Thompson from Elm Street was on an episode. And um, mm. so was Chrissy. I can't remember the actress's name from the end of Friday the 13th Part 3. Oh, wow. And then there's one where... Dudley and Arnold want to go to the movies to see Friday the 13th Part 3. Wow. So there's all these little Look Friday the 13th this. references in different strokes. Guys Fucking right, Illuminati shit. So right. check this out. I mean, we're not fact-checking. Stay As woke, <laughs> people. Stay woke. Fact-check fact check all you want. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, see that I'm, you'll see that I'm legit. <laughs> and if you play incesticide backwards, yeah. <laughs> it, you hear in utero. <laughs> you hear in utero. <laughs> so, all right. So check this out. Dudley, as we all know, famously gets molested in the bike shop. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> fucked that's up episode. always the first thing. Such a fucked up episode. Yeah. Right? Everybody talks about it. That's the legend of that well, show. The, well, you know what's <laughs> odd is like if you ever see Shavar Ross, who plays Dudley slash Reggie, okay. uh, at a con, he has pictures of the bike shop scene. Oh, fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So, here's my theory. Gordon Dudley Joe. gets molested at the bike shop, and this is obviously a traumatic experience decides his family decides let's get you out of the big city and go up into the country and live with your grandfather for a while and that's when he goes to live with his grandfather in crystal lake (laughs) and then unfortunately encounters jason Voorhees. but after living in manhattan for so long and being molested by the bike shop guy he's so toughened up that he can totally go up against Jason Voorhees and hit him with a tractor trailer. Yeah, drive a, a tractor. Luckily for him, they it wasn't made, the real so Jason. They should have made uh, it Gordon Jump Yeah, from, so, from uh, the episode. <laughs> he so should have been the paramedic. Takes the mask off so and, if you and I would have got it if it wasn't for the damn kids. So what I like to do shot. is watch Friday the 13th Part 4, then that episode of Different Strokes, then Part 5. Wow. No, I'm wow. kidding. I just That's made that up. But, <laughs> I wonder who was driving longer though, Dudley or Michael Myers in the station wagon. Right, exactly. You know I mean, like if they went to defensive driving together, you know, defensive driving. So, anyway, so that's 
Friday the 13th. Number three. Okay, Carrie. Brian nice. De Palma's Carrie. Mm. Um, again, amazing. Just, again, I saw it very young. I saw a lot of horror movies really young, and they yeah. impacted me, but this <laughs> me one too. impacted me a lot. And, again, there's there's shades of that in Blood Night with the whole like period aspect where mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. that is the onset of something in the girl. Um, so you have this opening scene, which like is just this like steamy high school girl locker room. They're all running around naked and it's so like erotic and bizarre. It's in slow motion. And then it just leads to this incredible unfolding of this girl's horrible life with her like psychotic religious mother. And I don't know, just the impact of all that. I literally get teary eyed when I watch Carrie multiple times mostly due to uh what's her name Lori piper the mm. mother yeah. uh her performance in those scenes like when she when she drags her into the closet i i cannot every time i cry i don't know why like she my eyes tear, i get chills i mean it's unbelievable it's and very effective the 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 camera work by de palma the restraint as a director like the difference between a movie then and a movie now like if that was being shot now and i would probably do the same thing myself i'd be like let me shoot this from every possible fucking angle and like i'm gonna be here and i'm gonna be here and i'm gonna get the camera everywhere and make this intense and crazy brian de palma puts the camera on the actors and follows them that's it they're telling the story their performance their character is telling the story and he as a director is simply allowing that with very subtle Mm -hmm. movements do you know what i mean same thing when uh you know, there's an interesting scene with Piper Laurie when, when Carrie's getting ready for the prom and she's getting herself done up and her mother is clearly doesn't want her to go. But at the same time, her mother is nervous that the boy is not going to show up. So that's an interesting dynamic because it's it's in, an, in a very subtle way. It's showing the the mother's love for her daughter because she doesn't want her daughter to be embarrassed. Even though she's the psycho, what she's really worried about is that he's not coming. And once she starts saying he's not coming, he's not coming. And she starts getting frantic and she starts pulling her own hair. He starts, the camera tilts in the opposite direction that she moves. And the camera is so straight and following them. And then all of a sudden there's just that one tilt and you're like, oh, your whole world is now on this odd axis. And it's like, it's just so effective, powerful story making, storytelling and direction. And, and that the Palma split screen style at the end. I love it. Great. Oh, oh my he God. Lo- he loves I love the split it. shot. I love works. it so much. It's yeah. so good. And really what works for me, like watching that as a young kid, was the two actresses were so good. Like you could tell, I mean, obviously there, it was a little bit more than mentally ill, but like they right. sold it so much. And like to me it was creepy because these people were not monsters but they were so frightening mentally. Right, and it's just what's what's locked behind the doors of the average suburban home. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely... It, it and, was, of course, the, the horrifying images of the uh, St. Sebastian in the in the closet, which is not Jesus. It's a, it's another saint that was crucified, and it's just this terrifying-looking... Yeah. Uh, just always, like, sat with me so weird, you and, know? And Sissy Spacek, just, like, her oh, face. Oh, yeah, no, 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 yeah, not uh, to take anything right. away from her. She's <laughs> like, incredible, her too. Her face, yeah. like, and at the end, you're just, like, looking uh, at her going, like, wait, this girl might be crazy for when real. She, yeah. When she, you know... She she she's at such a height of joy when they crown her, like you feel mm. horrible. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you just, I mean, for me anyway, you just feel it yeah. so hardcore. You know, it's just so intense. And I remember feeling that as a really young child, just being like, "Oh my god," you know. 
and it's yeah, just always stuck with me. It was different because like I'm a huge slasher fan. That's Retro the, Picture Show should play Carrie. Nice. Just right. do a 35 millimeter. First, film. Michael should listen to the show. <laughs> then, then second, they should play it. So we're gonna work on the first part. I'll make sure he does. I'll be like, hey, we talk about Retro Picture Show at the. <laughs> Last minute mark, so he has to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your fast forward, bro. <laughs> Fuck your swipe. Um, okay, so what's the next one? Um, Jaws. Mm. Yeah, your I name mean, are all, classic. all the good ones. Yeah. Fucking um, classic. I'm actually going to Cult Cafe tomorrow at the Cinema Arts to nice. watch it. Nice. It's going to be awesome. Um, I mean, I don't even know what there is to say. It's just, it's Jaws. It still holds up. Untouchable. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, I'll tell you every time I watch it, sorry. Every time I watch it, which is, I, it's one of my summer films. I don't watch it all year until the 4th of July hits. Then I watch it 4th of July weekend, and I'll watch it throughout the summer. Part of it for me, this is so bizarre. I just love looking at the people in the background, the extras. They have just this like authentic 70s people aspect about them where it's like it's people today just don't look the same like their skin their hair their bodies are different the way they speak and i and jaws captures those like real late 70s people the clothing the way that the mayor dresses exactly uh, you know shorts are actually like shorts (laughs) what's what's the guy's name uh Harry, the That's old some guy. Bad That's hat, some Harry. bad hat, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> Even the guy that comes over to talk to him about the zoning, you yeah. know, like that guy's yeah. skin and his teeth. It's just like people just don't look like that anymore. Yep. There's, there's something about like, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but there's something so authentic about it. And you catch that in certain films. Um, I think you see it a bit in like Close Encounters of the Third Kind as mm-hmm. well. Just the, the regular people that are not necessarily the the main people in the film. Obviously, Quint and Martin Brody are amazing, but I love those moments when you like when you see all the people coming off the boat, mm-hmm. just looking at their clothes and their manners and their gestures. It's it's I it's, love it. Things like that are just like a time capsule. Yep, like exactly. When you see, Perfect. When you see right. old like New York movies, right? I'm a sucker for me too. Thing in set in New York. Oh yeah, yeah. basket case. Yeah. Yes. Rosemary's I wanted to baby. get Frank Henenlotter yeah. on the show. I'll still try to oh, make that happen. You could probably fantastic. get that. You could pull I think it off. So. He's local, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. So, I think that'd be, that'd be a lot like of fun. any of the sequels of Jaws. Yeah, so this is funny. So no. I, I, <laughs> I haven't. I saw Jaws four in the theater, and I saw Me Jaws too. three in the theater. I just don't really. I only remember one thing from Jaws three it was when the leg comes floating down. Mm. Um, yeah. And Louis Gossett Jr. Dennis Quaid, I, Leah Thompson. So I didn't know. So I haven't seen them since because I always just assumed they sucked. And yeah. the other night I was at. Um, do you guys know Brian Norton? He's a filmmaker. He did uh, Penny Dreadful, which was like a very popular short. Oh yeah. And yeah. I think he directed Shark to Puss. Is he for local? Sci-fi. Will he do the show? He probably will. He's, <laughs> in, he's in Manhattan. I could talk to him. Cool. Yeah, get that um, motherfucker on. He's a, he's a cool dude. I don't know if he'll come out to the island though. You guys might have to travel. We'll go out there. We'll be there. But he, um, I think he directed Shark to Puss as well, which he doesn't like to talk wow. about. And he gets mad every time I mention. That's a great title. But I think it's awesome. Um, If that's the right title, otherwise I'm a dick. I think it. No, I think it. No, he directed Incesticide. Are you sure? (laughs) Are you sure it's not (laughs) Levantula? So anyway, he uh, had a party. He was moving out of his apartment, and he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna have a Jaws party, a Jaws three party." Sweet. So he showed Jaws three big screen 3D, and I caught like the last half of it, and I was like, "This is amazing." Not in the good way, in sort of the bad way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So now I actually, I actually do want to go back and revisit the sequels. 
The fourth so. one is horrible. I know. Actually, I, I just watched the fourth yeah. one. I own it. Don't get me wrong. I actually fucking own the director's cut that it's, has an it's alternative It's awesomely ending. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. One is standalone. The yeah. other three are like yeah. whatever. Sure. I, so. I haven't even revisited them in so long. I couldn't even. Yeah. So I think before the end of the, the summer. Which was the one with the mother? That's the fourth. Jaws the Revenge. Yeah. With with Michael Caine and Mario Van Peebles. That's right. Well, Michael Caine will say no to anything. he says it. You guys should get Michael Caine on here. He might do this. Get Michael Caine. We got to do it in the summer. So. All right. So let's do the last one. What do you got? The Lost Boys. Oh, there you go. Listen to that. There you go. Man, I feel like you might have something to do with our bracket. So. Tell us about the Lost Boys. Yeah. Um, it's just awesome. I mean, like to me, years old. To me, the Lost Boys <laughs> is the epitome of like a cool movie. Like it's it's not necessarily scary in the traditional horror sense, but like every character is cool. Like you, like you want to be one of the vampires, or you want to be one of the Frog Brothers, or you want to be. Corey Haynes. You know what I mean? Like every character in the film, you want to be like, Diane Weist. <laughs> nice. Every she worked at the mom and pop video store. Uh-huh. You want to be Laddie. <laughs> oh, that fucking kid. Fuck that kid. <laughs> <laughs> but like it, just everything about it is just cool, in my opinion. You know, like the soundtrack is, is killer. killer. The story is amazing. Yeah. I fucking it's just, that it's, song, it, baby. It, it, it epitomizes like late 80s and just that like. It was in horror ver- comedy when there wasn't. The market wasn't flooded with them. right, they, but it's and it's just line. it's just done so that, right. Yeah, like yeah, there's absolutely. those relieving funny parts. There's tense scary parts, and you have that like just that summer vibe and that sort of like freeing youth recklessness. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's just got everything as far for as I'm concerned. What it did for it's the, somewhat comic book. Yep, yeah, you very know? much so. definitely. What it did for the sale of saxophones after <laughs> nice like skyrocketed. That guy gets you. Got to mention that guy. I mean, he's part of the law. Yeah, you know, you know, he's like he, he, the Saturday Night Live made fun of it. Like how long ago? Yeah, like, like a couple of years ago, he still comes up. It's shirtless sax guy. Yeah, people just. I remember him and he's uh, all oiled up, wearing like a junkyard the, chain around his. Well, he looks like he's Brutus t- the barber he's beefcake. Uh, yeah. Hurt Tina Turner's sax player. Yeah. And he's is got, that like, true? He wears, or are you like, just being funny? No, no I that's, swear to God, yeah, that's he true. For her backup band and. I think I seen a video in the eighties. He that's his look. He plays uh, he in. He doesn't uh, like dress up and wears it like something nice. Suit uh, he, I think he's in he's Beyond Thunderdome no at one point. I think he's playing in Beyond Thunderdome. I feel like if that like happened that. now, people would make fun of him, and that bothers well, me because yeah. I would think that was cool. Yeah, as hell. Fuck yeah. If that guy know? did conventions, he would make bank. Yeah. He wouldn't make bank. Well, he has to do a show at a He's got a convention, gritty outfit. Grease himself up. Ah, for real. <laughs> who wouldn't put... Grease himself up. Who are you again? <laughs> be like, are you kidding me? I'm are shirtless with a fucking sax. Stand back. And he pulls out the sax. <laughs> so, I remember him playing that saxophone like I remember Tackleberry playing the, the nice. saxophone. <laughs> and Police <laughs> Academy cool. And they start taking the clothes off and it can't concentrate. Well, Police Academy <laughs> 1. Yeah. Yes, so it's good. in the beach. What's, what's that like dorky cop's name? Because he's in Friday the 13th Part 4. He's Axel, the mortician, the sleazy yes, mortician. Yes, Fankler. Fankler, Fankler, Fankler. Yeah, whatever yeah. his name he is. is. He yeah. is. He's the one. Oh, that... fuck, he is, yeah. I, I can connect all the Friday the 13th dots for you. But Everything like, comes back to Friday the 13th. In Police Academy, he's doing... He's, <laughs> My he's, mind is blown, bro. He's, he's playing like the sax. Shit. Tackleberry's playing the sax, but it's like so off to the music. In the be- on funny. the beach, right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't even like line and up. And he's like... He's like like he's never seen tits before. Yeah. He's just like, 
Jones yeah. is playing like a tennis racket. Yeah. He's playing like an air tennis racket. He's just like staring at the girls <laughs> walk by. It's like, all right, calm down, bro. Mahoney, I'm a virgin. <laughs> That's what you do. That's what you did in the 80s. You have to like, if you saw tits, you'd have to like make a big deal about it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I still do. Uh, <laughs> that is true. 2017. <laughs> People get, guys get sweaty, loosen their collar. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my you have to loosen your collar. Exactly. <laughs> So, all right. Just so, just like like every episode, we have a top five, and um, being that I don't think we ever really truly acknowledged George Romero's death. I think we might have mentioned it. Um, you know, the guy was obviously, you know, at the top of his game. Yeah. So, um, being that uh, we love movies and we love zombie movies and all that other shit. So I decided we're going to do uh, top five George Romero scenes. It doesn't have to be kill scenes. It doesn't have to be anything. It's just, you know, whatever scene that really struck you in his movie, um, you could just mention it for whatever reason. So um, to kick it off, let's do Langan, number five. Uh, my number five, real quick scene, but it sticks in my head from Night of the Living Dead. Uh, when they're showing the zombies, I know he called them ghouls, right? He mm. didn't have the name zombies at the time. Flesh, flesh was, eaters. Uh, yeah, and they're eating that meat from the, they got from the butcher and pulling the gore. That's like <laughs> early gore. Yeah. You know, like it didn't, uh, when the you didn't eat, see shit like that. eats a cockroach. Well, the, when he's got like a leg of something or other and yeah, stuff they like got from the butcher and all kinds of crap. But like you didn't, you know, besides Herschel Gordon Lewis, and it, you didn't see anything remotely. Herschel Gordon's films weren't as wide released blood as. Feast. Right. Was it right. Blood Feast? Yeah. Yeah. But gore the wasn't gore, a part of the landscape at that time. Right. So that was like, whoa, oh shit. Okay. For a black and white film. I'm, I haven't seen this before. You know? Yeah. So that kind of stands out. Number five. Number five. Cool. Frank. Um, are these in order, five backwards? Sure, why not? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have an order, so I'll just pick one. Um, sticking with Night of the Living Dead, of course. Uh, for me, simple, but I just I love They're Coming to Get You, Barbara. Just like It's just that like little bizarre, spooky Halloween moment, you know, just the way he says it. and it's It's been sampled in so many different ways on so many different things, and I just think it's, I just love hearing it. I used to have it on my voicemail, so like when somebody would call. Yeah, I, rem- I remember having so things cool. on my voicemail. It's one of the days. most famous lines in yeah, the horror Yeah, of course. So I don't want to sound like, yeah. you know, like uh, like just picking the most generic no, thing. No, like, it was it's just, listen, it's just I got so it as number awesome. one. Oh, throw yeah. it right out there. That's a great <laughs> scene. It's, right? it's just so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. You're yeah. acting like a child. Like I met him at a convention, and he said it to me, and I was just like, that just doesn't have the same effect. <laughs> like, my name's not Barbara, Barbara Yeah, it just doesn't have the same effect. <laughs> Give me my $20 back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Parker, number five? Uh, number five, I picked a scene from The Crazies. I know most of you guys haven't seen it, but uh, it's kind of like they released like a super virus mm-hmm. the original movie was uh, i think the original title was like operation trixie or i've something. only yeah. seen the trailer yeah. yeah it's a really good film yeah and uh, so you've seen it I it looks seen it. super yeah. raw. okay That's so they yeah, yeah so, we saw the remake okay so they release you know it gets airborne and blah 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 people start becoming crazy and they um they got a hold of the president and then the next scene is literally just fucking stock footage you know what I'm talking about? How they like the Air Force gets yeah. involved and it looks like looks like the videos that you would like rent from like the library and shit. Right. And they just melded them all together. That's awesome. And then you see this like quote unquote army general who's gotta like, you know, 
go set up shop for like a month and you see the guy like take out this like shitty suitcase and he's packing like a six pack of socks and a six pack of underwear and it's just I don't know it's just like horribly <laughs> funny but just the way that they yeah. melded the stock footage together I, I just it just makes me laugh so it's, I love it. it's a I good just, film yeah. definitely yeah. recommend like, yeah. outside of the zombie the holy I'm on it. it's my favorite somebody I don't know if it's Arrow Video in the UK mm-hmm. is releasing something called like um, from dusk till dawn, or something to that effect, and it's it's all of Romero's films that are not zombie films. On oh, the that's box cool set. shit! It's like Martin, the Crazies, what Bruiser. was the other one you said? Bruiser. Bruiser, and there was yeah. another one. Uh, season of something, season of the witch. Season of the witch. Yeah. Always, I think that I think those are the five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or I could be totally wrong. Yeah. And he also did that half of that. What, what, did he do oh yeah, Argento, two the, the two potails something. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the two eyes or dark uh, oh two evil eyes two evil eyes but yeah. then he did uh, dark uh, the dark half yes dark yeah. half he I did do the dark half yeah, that was him and Stephen sure. King wasn't it the two of them together no I think he did a Stephen King screenplay or like yeah. book or something yeah. so yeah. alright so what do you got my number five is like Frank's number five um, just the whole scene in the beginning of Night, uh, Night of the Living Dead I mean it should be number one just because it's like the the introduction it's like what 1968 like imagine mm. who the fuck was doing yeah. anything like this before woodstock yeah exactly <laughs> before Woodstock. like what was going on in 68 like before charles manson yeah. yeah evans city man evans city pa you know he was just sitting there and like he had his crew of like rogue filmmakers yeah. diy shit and they were just like fuck it black lead mm-hmm. female lead where you're just gonna go nuts with it and just the opening scene, like um, black guy punching a girl in the face. Oh, point. yeah, like, Holy brutal shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sure that did wonders for uh, for, for his career <laughs> yeah. after. Um, the first zombie just coming in there. Uh, Bill Heinzman. Bill, shout out to Bill Heinzman. Nope. <laughs> I owe you twenty dollars. <laughs> um, j- just the the whole scene, just the beginning, like the introduction of it. Um, you know, like you said, it's just so remembered. And um, I had it as mine. I'll just say it because I'll pick something else because yeah. I had it also. But like what I liked about that scene, too, is, uh, you know, a lot of the black and white and, and stuff previous to that, like it was always dark night, rainy, what thunderstorm. What, this is daytime. Yep. Broad daylight. They're, yeah. They're, 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 you're supposed to be safe then. And then off in the distance, you see this guy shambling around. That's totally. supposed to be safe time. Things didn't happen then. They right. Were in a, you know, like Dracula it was always a thunderstorm yeah. or all that shit. And this was like. Right. I, there was, this was like your first like, you know, like it was like a non-gothic cemetery. Correct. Like there's no fog. There's no, no rain. There's no owl ever. in the background. Yeah. yeah. There's and no like bells and whistles telling right. you something scary is going to happen. No. Yeah. And like you figure just in 1968, just watching something like that, probably... Um, like my girlfriend's mom always brings it up, and she said that when she, f- to this day, I guess so, she associates just that feeling still. Like when she watches it, I guess she still feels like that little girl. Mm-hmm. Like when I watch nice. Halloween, it's the same thing. Like I just remember being like eight, nine, or ten, watching it, being like, "Oh shit, this is still scary." I think that goes back to like what we were saying, like comfort horror. Like yeah. there's something about like that you associate it with like your childhood in a way, and it's like that. Sure. It just like wakes that shit yeah. up inside you. Totally. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I mean. Huge scene, number five. So, Langan, what do you have, number four? Number four, I'm still on Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, Go ahead, fanboy. The, <laughs> the end of the film. 
the montage. Yeah. Oh, where brutal. Was so amazing. I know he says, like, he doesn't own that he was doing some racial metaphor. I know he's... The hooks. Like, oh, yeah, I had that intentional along. Yeah, we just cast this guy. He's very... Uh, but, I mean, you can't... The, when he gets shot coming out of the place, spoiler. Yeah. Yeah, spoiler. Shut. And the guys that did it, and then the... Just those still pictures that come across. Of them, like, them. dragging them and throwing them on the fire. Yeah, yeah. it's fucking heavy yeah. as shit. Yeah. You know? That fucking music is creepy as hell, too, at the end. Yeah. Oh, and let it, me tell you something uh, cool. It really brings it um, home, man. A buddy of mine... Have you ever heard of uh, Morricone Youth? Uh, more, um, They're like this, like, sort of... I don't even know how to describe them. They're an indie band, right? And they basically... They take scores from movies and, oh. like, do them their own way. The guy that does all the Lynch... More... Morricone Youth. Wasn't that the guy that does all the Lynch soundtracks? What's his name? Is that where they know. got the name from? Enrico Morricone? Oh, okay. I don't know. I, oh, yeah. Ennio Morricone. Yes. That's so it. I think their name is probably okay. taken yeah. from okay. that. It's gotcha. not Ennio Morricone. Right. It's like a bunch of dudes. They're, they're friends of a friend of mine, and he just last year gave me, they did an album, Night of the Living Dead, and it's the, it's the Night of the Living Dead score, oh. but like they're doing it. I don't, I, I don't even know how to define it. It's like okay. this cool sort of, punkish post-hardcore electronic it's totally recommend you guys check it out if you dig wow. night of the living dead which clearly you do yeah uh it's worth checking out it's super cool that's awesome um speaking of that i'm just gonna give this like a little plug here because i thought it was pretty cool um there's Nirvana and Cestus up. <laughs> there, there's <laughs> a there's a book i don't read but if you do <laughs> if you do read, I read. <laughs> all right so it's called scored to death um, it's conversations with some of uh, horror's greatest composers. Scored to Death collects 14 info-packed, terrifyingly entertaining interviews with renowned film composers and have provided mu- that have provided music for some of the horror genre's greatest films and franchises. So, um, yeah, it's called Scored to Death. The author is Jay Blake Fischera. Is that the library? Uh, yeah, it came. I get down. Came out in 2016. So, like, I, I was reading about this, and I was thinking, like, I, you know, if you read, which I'm a podcast audio guy, so I don't. Can't. Um, I read I re- for the group. I read a lot every now and then. I love. Yeah. My comprehension's fucked up. <laughs> I can tell everyone all the time. Is if you tweet the book, I'll read it. Are you dyslexic? <laughs> uh, maybe I don't know. So, um, number four, Frank. Um. Ed Harris dancing in Creep Show. Nice. <laughs> just that moment. Don't let go. <laughs> like, his, his, first of all, I think it's the first and only time I've ever seen Ed Harris with hair. Yeah. yeah. And, he's been um, bald forever. Yeah, he's been bald forever <laughs> since at least 1981. Yeah. And um, <laughs> everything about it is just amazing. Like the song, his movements, like the face he makes. He does that spin. Yep. And then even when she tells him to like turn off the radio and he like spins his arms, like, <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah, so I wonder. That's, that's my number four. You know what? Like from like State of Grace or like the great movies. You know, you go back and you watch these old movies, mm-hmm. but like Creepshow is like so like you know so loved. You yeah, know? it's not literally. Like, I'm not going to say anything. It's not like Night Riders that people <laughs> forgot about. Yeah. So. Damn, that's my number four. So. Is it? <laughs> it is. All right, number four. What All right, you? number four. Night Riders. Uh, there's a quick cameo, and uh, Stephen King is actually like the fucking drunken. You remember, you remember yeah, the scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the drunken <laughs> f- husband in the crowd, and he's like drinking. Is like, can you just explain what Night Riders is? Yeah, I don't know Night Riders. Night Riders was the movie made after Dawn of the Dead, so 
one of the dead did pretty well, so he had you know a good amount of money laying around. The so he had, chat. yeah, yeah. So he had this great plan to cast Ed Harris once again in this movie as a king, and uh, it's kind of like I don't know if it's so much Dungeons and Dragons type shit, but it's pretty much guys jousting on motorcycles. Well, weren't they like nice. a carny thing? It, yeah, it was like a traveling carnival. Yeah, yeah. Tom but, Savini had a big role. Yeah, in that but thing. I mean the the. Main reason why I love this movie is because literally um, it's almost every single actor from Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead together. And uh, the main girl from actually from the Night of the Living Dead remake, um, she's actually in this, you know, 10 or 15 years prior to that. Right. And uh, I, I, don't get me wrong, it's a pretty shitty movie, but it, it's pretty comical. <laughs> but pretty hard to get there. Yeah, and, ju- and just to see, you know... Tom Savini, you know, the asshole that he is, you know, running around with, you know, his hairy chest flailing. And, you know, he's, you know, I forget what his what his nickname was. Uh, or sex shit. machine. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a struggle my, uh, to get through it once. Yeah. But I had to say, yeah. I, I, I have to see all this. He's like, it was a struggle but, to get through it once. But after the sixth time. Yeah. <laughs> but Stephen King as the uh, the drunk guy and the uh, and the crowd is pretty amusing. He's drinking his, you know, his. Budweiser and throwing them at the fucking crowd. It's pretty funny. That's yeah. awesome. Speaking <laughs> speaking of that, that's like Mark Schoenbeck. Remember when he was talking about like yes. House of a Thousand Corpses? I was just thinking that. He saw it like seven, <laughs> yeah. seventh, seventh time. Seventh time was, was like good. the only movie he had. He was living he, in Texas Yeah, because yeah. he, like, he said he hated it the first six times. <laughs> and he's like on the seventh time because he was living in Texas <laughs> at his girlfriend's and that was the only movie they had. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the most ridiculous. And he came around liking it. <laughs> like, yeah, Finally, I came around. Yeah. On that seventh oh, time. Funny. So I love that movie instantly. I saw that three times in a row in the oh, theater. I loved fun. it. Wow. Um, okay. So my number four is uh, Dawn of the Dead. Um, definitely out of all like the dead movies, I, I think for me it's like the, the best action sequences. Um like a lot of like the tense stuff that The Walking Dead does, mm-hmm. I feel like it, they get from there. Mm-hmm. Like all those like close calls. It's one hundred percent, one hundred percent, right? So um, there, there's tons of uh, references to yep. Romero and Walking Dead, yeah, and Fulci references. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a couple of zombie references, yep. yeah. So um, yeah, I love that when fans make movie uh, shows like that. Totally. I, I like, um, but nothing beats the scene in Dawn of the Dead, like when the bikers show up. You know that like twenty minutes. So dope. So it's good. just over like. The action was already over the top, and like you figure, what could possibly top what's been going on when they Savini were like Savini getting his guts pulled out? Yeah, yeah. But like, just that director's I, cut is even stretched out. Oh, I didn't I see it. that. It's like longer. So it's longer. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's like, like three so hours. I love yeah. it. Yeah. It's fucking. I'll love say. It. I'll say the director's cut was too long for me. No. Too long. It almost. I'll was. explain yeah, why. <laughs> I'll explain why it it's too I long. No, I'll explain why it's good because there's probably about. 10 minute scene of Rhodes from Day of the Dead mm-hmm. in Dawn of the Dead that was removed. True. And that I fucking love. Yeah. It's so. a lot. Yeah. You gotta see it is it. a lot. Well, I, I mean, like, they, what was up with them putting thrown pies in the face? Yeah, that was bizarre. <laughs> now, the first guy, you no, hooligans. Another yeah. fun fact the first guy that gets the pie in the face was the guy that did the, uh, the documentary, Document of the Dead. Oh, really? Roy Frumke's. Nice. And, and the background music was like some ragtime fucking shit going on. Well, yeah. Scott they Joplin. The, they had they, they had the pies and then like the squirting people yep. in the face. Like it was I just think like I watched the director commentary, but I'm not sure. And I think he just like loves slapstick and wanted to well, put that element in there. 
So yeah, uh, Dawn of the Dead yeah. biker scene. That like fifteen minutes, whatever it is mm-hmm. in the regular cut, was just like chaos. It's like forty-seven minutes. Oh, it's so it, good. Yeah, it just like it. it Squally Bubba, man, shout out Squally Bubba. <laughs> Hit up the action. So <laughs> number three, Langan. Uh, my number three is in Dawn of the Dead, uh, Rogers' Transformation. Nice. Yes. Because, uh, That's a good one. Because Night of the Living Dead, I know with Johnny, Barbara's uh, yep. brother there, yeah. you see that he turns into a zombie. But this is the first time you you, you watch it You had a character that you know, and I like that guy. He's a good character. He gets bit, slowly turns. You're waiting for him, the inevitable to happen. It's kind of like the first time they... Uh, humanize the zombie if you will to show it's just not a creature these are the people right. that you knew grew up with friends with your parents whatever they're all fucking these creatures now but you saw it's the first time you see that you know yeah that and, that's that's a good one yeah, totally frank number three um for me it is the hitchhiker in creep show two mm. towards mm. the end when uh when he's like really decomposed and just to continue thanks for the ride yeah. lady. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I'd so say that line uh, me too me too <laughs> um when he's like all just fucked up yeah. you know and it's just like bloody and he's yeah. just a mess but she just keeps on backing up and hitting <laughs> yeah. him and, yeah. and he just keeps getting up you see like his tongue yep. and everything yep. I just love it that he's in the back seat it's yeah. Just, yeah it's uh, just so messy and awful and amazing and just thanks for the ride lady. And, and, and as funny as it is like it, it like it's, it's brutal and horrifying it's brutal and like the fact that you're never going to get away yeah like that's the shit that you're like you know when we all try to get away with shit we all try to like bury bones yeah and this fucking thing just keeps coming back and totally. you're just like all right just fucking kill me already right. Thanks so. for the it's just a question of how it's gonna happen yeah, and yeah that's that's my number three so. for sure number three parker Number three, I did Night of the Living Dead um, when the gas pumps explode, and it's kind of like the first time that you see the zombies "quote unquote" eat when they go in there and uh, they have their uh, have their, their feast, uh, have their barbecue feast. I would also, um, I'm not sure, maybe, but it seems to me that this is probably the first time in a movie where you really saw like your heroes die where it's like mm. oh the plan is not working yeah like i think movies at that point were structured to be like okay the plan is gonna work yep right and you're like all right great they got a plan now it's gonna work let's get out of here and it's then it the doesn't work here's yeah. the antagonist and they run back right. to the house and yeah. you're like Fuck, i mean you, when you work when you see ben's face when he sh- you know when the gas pump explodes he's like yeah. holy shit and then uh what's his name just locks the door yep. and locks cooper and Rhett cooper right and that and that's such a powerful thing too because it's like People are scumbags. Ah, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like that's that's like what it's like when it comes down to this shit. It's like that's how it could go down. And I think sure. this is the first movie that probably kind of exposed that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, my number three is uh, in Creep Show, the first one, um, the uh, Stephen King one, where he plays Jody. Mm-hmm. Jordy, yeah. Jordy, Jordy, yeah. Jordy, the hillbilly. Jordy Verrill. Um, you lunkhead. And it just meteor it, shit. Just <laughs> at the very end, you know, because like we were talking about the hitchhiker, same thing. Um, you just know it's like the inevitable. It's yeah. like you can't. Like it started. It starts really funny, and mm. it's yeah, and then it just keeps going, and you're like, ah, oh, shit. And then just I'm bringing up the, my my the scene at just the very end scene where he is. Basically, a just fucking plant. Yeah, yeah. Oh. and you hear his voice, 
and it's obviously right. Altered. You know, it's like in his throat. And yeah, everything. yeah. Like he's just covered. And you're just like, holy shit! There's no getting away from this. And then he just ends it. And he kills himself. Yeah. And like as a kid watching that, I'm like, oh. It's well, crazy too because again, not. as a kid, like <laughs> that used to be my favorite sequence because he was so funny. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he's so goofy yeah. and like right. he looks so goofy. He yeah. looks good. Yeah. Like he just plays the <laughs> part like goofy. so dumb yeah. and like cartoon. And then that happens. You're like, well, that's fucking dark. <laughs> yeah. You know, like even like his visits to the doctor's office is like funny, you know, and then it's like that. It's like, well, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, that very scene and like he's just that voice. The TV in the background yeah. and everything. Just that sound like just that droning television and yeah, the the I'm inevitable doom really like as yeah. a kid you know you're, you're so used to just watching people prevail and then you right. see that and you're like hmm, all right well right doesn't always work that way next right. one <laughs> so uh lang number two uh my number two is the the intro shot of uh day of the dead up in the oh, helicopter yeah. just seeing the whole uh town overrun and shut down it's like an alligator the alligators up <laughs> in there <laughs> were they miami supposed to be yeah i don't even yeah oh. and uh just the you know the town's going to shit the cars are all in the middle of the road post i love post-apocalyptic shit anyway right and just this town overrun with zombies and it's like and continuing from dawn of the dead it's like saying you know they won yeah they took over yeah the our cities are over right society has uh, collapsed it's collapsed it's over and uh what you never saw re- fully with the previous films nah. right you, you were started getting at, it in dawn yeah, and then you're uh, isolated in the mall with them but you're not seeing the happened. collapse of society yeah. uh, you know the government didn't find the cure it's over right. for mankind uh i just love that shot yeah. big big shot you know yeah, game sure. over number two frank all right for me it is uh creep show the first creep show and it's uh, when Leslie Nielsen is burying <laughs> Ted Danson. Ted Danson's already yeah. buried. And he comes back. And, like, Leslie Nielsen, who is an amazing comedian and straight performer sure. simultaneously, he just jumps out of the car. And he's, like, in such a good mood. And he's like, I'm just wild about Harry. <laughs> 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 and Harry's got, like, the crab, like, creeping up yeah. on him. Yeah, it's just amazing. It's just that that perfectly planted moment of humor. Yeah among the dread of being buried alive and knowing like this guy's probably gonna drown like what's going on here you know and like like it's it's like because it's leslie nielsen he plays it straight right but it's funny but it's horrifying he's like one of the best at that yeah i mean like it's so good like everything everything about that scene is amazing even i I even like the crab like you know like just the as it's creeping up and like ted dancing like he can't do anything but move his head that's one of the most famous crabs in cinema even the crab was good (laughs) yeah (laughs) the crab crab really killed in that actually that's the same crab from uh castaway (laughs) (laughs) that's a good agent man i like how you throw in the just joking like right after just in case we we were trying uh, to figure let me google crab <laughs> cast away <laughs> you got imdb <laughs> parker number two as long as you don't fact check all my <laughs> fact check nope. the different stroke stuff That's our good. friends will do that when we i got a video show. for you when we're done uh-oh can't right. wait is two girls one, two girls one the cop. bike shop guns uh <laughs> no it's, different strokes. It's, it's sam this is just you washing your car with your shirt off you <laughs> <know>? <laughs> i don't think anyone will see that <laughs> Parker number two. Uh, number two, I did uh, Day of the Dead, roads being ripped in half at the end. Um, I remember watching a documentary, and they said that uh, the guts that they actually used for that scene was kept in a refrigerator, 
and they were going to film that scene, I think, after a Thanksgiving break or a Christmas break, and somebody unplugged the refrigerator, and all the shit went. Reeked. Yeah. And they didn't have funding to buy new stuff and blah, blah, blah. So literally, if you look real close at Rhodes, he has... uh, He's got shit uh, shoved up his nose. He's got uh, earplugs up his nose, and he actually has, like, Vaseline or something on his upper lip because he said almost every – Yeah, yeah, something, vapor rub or something. Like in uh, (laughs) Sounds of the Lambs. Yeah, he's like – because almost every time that they yelled action, I almost fucking threw up on myself. That is a classic. Yeah, but it's just brutal, that scene. They just ripped that motherfucker in half. (laughs) Probably the best death scene of – any of Romero's movies. Yeah, so. yeah, it's gnarly. No question. Uh, my number two is actually kind of the same scene for Creepshow. Nice. Um, Ted Danson gets put in this uh, sand hole by Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. And uh, so he comes back, though, um, with a TV. And the TV, mm-hmm. he's showing, you know, Danson's girlfriend. Right. Um, and she's basically doing the same thing he's doing, only she's the water's a little bit more progressed. And you're sitting there, and you're like, holy shit, you can't get out. You're, it's got to be the worst way to fucking die. There's, like, drowning, but this yeah. way it's, like, slow. So the water's coming right, in. waiting for the tide to come in. Man, and just seeing the TV and seeing, like, the person that you love going through the same thing. And you like that's like an evil, evil fucking thing. And it just as a kid watching that, I'm like, God damn, do yeah. I hate the beach? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my number two. Number one. Well, I originally had the coming to get you, Barbara, but I got some backup here, so I don't repeat mm-hmm. anything here. Um, it'd probably be the the raid on that apartment building in Day of the Dead. Uh, you know when they when the SWAT team comes in there and. Um, Oh they yeah, end up in the basement with yeah. the priest, and they have to plug all those yes. corpses because that's where everyone in the building was keeping their loved ones yes. and hoping they cure something. And yeah, that going seemed... through that building and that guy Leroy bites the shoulder yep. off that. Guy. Oh yeah, yeah, that the shoulder thing. and the arm. Yep, yeah. those were great scenes. Yeah, so, so I, I... <laughs> Leroy. <laughs> that was the name, huh? Probably <laughs> it was right. Uh, I'm not hey Martinez, <laughs> nice. Yeah, there was like a really racist. Yeah, wait SWAT a minute. Team there cop. was like completely. I don't even think any of them were Hispanic. They're, they're like the one guy, <laughs> dumb little bastards. Boy, he fucking like <laughs> he, he had like face a paint of every stereotype, yeah. horrible name. Like to this guy, like <laughs> they just like up on the roof, unbelievable. Like, but like the one a guy, better place than mine. Yeah, the one guy. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking shitty project apartment. That guy's on my friends list right now. Actually, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, all right, cool, whatever. Yeah. Um, so Good that's one. your number one. Yeah, yeah. Number one, Frank. So I don't know if this is number one. I don't even know if this counts. But the animated, the animated, <laughs> the animated sequence of Creepshow Two. Yeah. The, the bumpers and wraparounds oh, yeah. is just awesome with the little kid being bullied, and it just it's him. I'm like obsessed with like that suburban aspect. And it's just that kid in the suburbs. He rides to the sure. junkyard. And he's got the Venus flytrap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you could tell it's like October and Twilight. You know what I mean? Like just that vibe again, similar 
what we were saying earlier with Night of the Pumpkin was like what I was seeking mm-hmm. with like you know Fat Albert's Halloween and like <laughs> just that yeah. that awesome Halloween. Every show animated. we have something come up that I never thought would come up. And tonight <laughs> was Fat Albert. Yeah. <laughs> Some nights it's Ugly Kid Joe, but now yeah, it's Fat it's Albert. Ugly Kid Joe, but, it's uh, ugly as they want to be. <laughs> so yeah, but, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, not that that's my favorite Romero scene of all time. I didn't it's know a we great were supposed to go in any kind though. of order, but. I just want that on my list. Fantastic. Yeah. Agreed. Number one, Parker. Number one, I did uh, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, first time you see Flyboy as a zombie. Mm. When the elevated door is open. Oh, yeah. My all-time favorite zombie. Uh, my all-time favorite zombie walk. Cause... Over Tarman, huh? Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. Tarman uh, is uh, tasty. Nah, nah. Look at you, man. But it's Flyboy, and it's my favorite movie. I believe Tarman is the first. Not to but take away from Flyboy. But if we're talking Flyboy, Romero, yeah. Tarman talks. That's right. not Romero rules, so well, you got to go with... No, 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 no doubt. But I just no. want to say just one note about Tarman. This mm-hmm. is not anything against Flyboy mm-hmm. or Romero. Tarman might be the first zombie to literally go brains mm. and yeah. create that. Mm, that zombies eat brains, no. yes. not just flesh, brains. Mm-hmm. Totally true. And I don't know if that's the first time, but I think that's the first time. And that's awesome. I think you're right. I want to say something about it. So everybody seems to have been affected by um, Ben's death, obviously, at the end of Night of the Living Dead. <clears throat> but not that I also was not affected, but one could argue in a sense that Mr. Cooper was right the whole time. They should have just boarded up the basement. They should have just boarded up the one door in the basement and waited it out till morning. Ben was the one that argued, and as a result of that, everybody was killed. And he ends (laughs) up in the basement and then waiting for the morning. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets killed anyway. And then he does what Cooper told him to you know, what Cooper was fighting for the whole time. And then comes out in the morning and gets shot in the face. Huh. Wow. So in a sense, it's kind of like, there you go, dick. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Wow. Because because Cooper's character, he is such a dick, and you can't stand him the whole time. Like, he's such a jerk. So maybe Romero is like a racist. I mean, <laughs> Should have listened to the white Should've guy. Should have listened to the white <laughs> I got the Should've whole message the wrong guy. the whole these years. In all fairness, he's half Cuban, so maybe, no. <laughs> maybe only half I'm not of saying them. that. I don't want to be misconstrued as saying... <laughs> So Romero's point was always listen to the white guy. I'm just I saying it all different. Now, I'm saying from a karma point. aspect, yes. this isn't even about black or white. I'm yeah. just saying, Mr. Cooper was just like, look, we defend one door, we go in the basement, we bar up that door, mm-hmm. and we defend it. And that would be an interesting, yeah, definitely. Right? And wait till morning, yeah. and the whole time it's like, no, we're not going to do that. But then when Ben himself was faced with life or death, he ran into the basement, right. boarded up the door, and waited till morning. Right. And then, in my opinion, looking back, of course, I came to this conclusion after watching the movie 340 million times. You know what I mean? Like, your whole life, you're watching the film, and you just start, you know. um, But now you look back, and you're like, yeah. So when you were faced with death, you were just like, let me do that. Mm. But by arguing the whole time, you caused the death of every single person in the house. Yeah. You know? Good angle. angle. I never, never thought of it, so... Definitely. All right. Okay. I guess. Oh, wait. I didn't do my number one. Did I? Oh, what's your number one? I didn't, right? I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. All right, my number one is basically when uh, Miguel from Day of the Dead decides that he wants to fuck the whole place over. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking goes up there and starts doing some crazy shit and leads all the zombies downstairs, and he fucking 
does the the, the elevator thingy call box yeah. mm-hmm. and man like just the the 10 minutes of that scene insanity it's just like he fucking in a way he got his revenge yeah. Fuck all y'all. He just fucked everyone for after like laying like a pussy the whole fucking movie, <laughs> you know. And then that just that scene, I'm like, ah, oh, shit. He just... Well, well, I think that's a, that's an interesting thread of what we said about Romero's films overall. It's, it's really about like number one, yes, the consumerism and all that stuff, but it's also about like the shittiness of people. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because that one movie way, especially. One, yeah. Well, one way or another, there there just comes this moment of like, wow people suck you know what i mean like people fuck people over you know and like faced with tough circumstances right right human nature comes out and right where you where you would think like yeah Yeah. i'd be the hero in that situation or whatever you'd probably be like fuck you i'm out of here right right like if you look at it in night of the living dead from cooper's standpoint it's like my daughter is downstairs dying i have my wife and kid to think about you know yeah so on that Rest in peace, yeah, George A. Romero. Legend. Rest in peace, George Romero. Thank you for everything. Genre as we know it, because before him, it was Absolutely. zombie movies were like white zombie, white zombie, yeah, yeah they, they were, were Haitian slaves and stuff. And this whole concept, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, right. that's what that's you're what right, zombies yeah. were. No, no, zombie. you're right. They were like I, hypnotized I Haitian slaves. That I was walk, another one. Yeah, the uh, all the Val Luton films. Right, right. So I walked with a zombie. That's creation. that's a bizarre. And cool looking film. Have it you ever is. seen it? It is. It's, it's a very cool film. Yeah. Yep. And we were almost named. And those are the real traditional zombies. The name of the podcast was almost No Room in Hell. Yeah. Nice. But it was so taken, it was, right? It was taken by a Walking Dead podcast. So. That ain't right. Those I give you Red River. Bastards. Thanks to Brian Parker for coming up with Red River. That's right. I just used Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, so. No problem. Um, All right. So real quick, uh, I started doing brackets on the Facebook page uh, that we have. And I figured 30 years ago was 1987. So I had everyone that's in the group pick 30, like basically their favorite movies and favorite albums of 1987. I had 32. I compiled into 16 brackets. And uh, so the winners... (laughs) <laughs> according controversy according to what well, i think it's a lot of controversy definitely yeah the number one album according to the listeners of red river podcast is guns and roses appetite for destruction totally right it it, <laughs> it beat out uh eric b and rakim's paid in full in, in the last match <laughs> yeah which is it's to a me, perfect record appetite is and yeah. i think i think eric b and rakim's paid in full is is the best hip-hop record of 1987 definitely um, and then the movies, it was Predator versus the Lost Boys. Yeah. And fucking the Lost Boys won. That's what got the most Definitely Lost that Boys one. wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Lost Boys fucking win. I agree. I voted Lost Boys. Lost Boys is on my top five list. I got. I, I would have given it to Appetite and uh, Evil Dead 2. Well, if Evil Dead made it against Predator, I would have voted Evil Dead 2. Yeah. Or... Versus Lost Boys, I would have went. I voted Evil Dead. Too I the think first Lost time. Boys is the better film. But between Evil those Dead two, two I, I would still take Lost Boys. Would you say that Over that's Evil a, Dead too? Yeah, yeah. It fuck Lost Boys beat out. I think like Less Than Zero, Near Dark. Lost uh, Boys is a dope ass film. <laughs> you can't fuck with that. Show. I love it. You know, I still think I was Near Dark is better. Evil Dead. Near Dark is awesome. Yeah, but it is not nearly as cool as Lost Boys. Okay. Yeah. Lost Boys is cool. 
Okay. Near Dark is a different kind of cool, but Lost Boys is just like it's got Bill Paxton. Yeah, it does, <laughs> and that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, and if you're looking, are you looking <laughs> at it through cool. like a horror purist glasses, or just as a complete film? I look at it as I a complete say film. Lost Boys totally fits, like uh, the humor. It's better written. It's, it was hip as fuck when it came out. That's what I'm like, saying. That's what I mean by cool. Jamie Gertz, yeah. they were all hot at that time. You know, plus what I mean? like you have like motorcycles and vampires and heavy metal and, and the Corys, yo. The Corys. Come on now. Greasy, greasy sax players. Nice. What, uh, <laughs> Laddie. What, what year should we Laddie. do? <laughs> what year should we do next? Do you go forwards or backwards? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't know. Is we don't know what 86 was a hot year. We don't know what we're doing. We don't we know what we're review doing. and see. Just Google what came out. Go that's, 85. That's go 85. It's like smack dab in the middle. Yeah, why not? All right, so we'll do 1985. It's, it's, it's like bounce around, keep people like on the, the edge. It's like <laughs> little gold, mystery to the golden shit. era of horror, really. You know, it was like the middle of the eighties. All right, so we'll do eighty-five, uh, best movies of eighty-five and best albums of nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, we can jump around. Yeah, like jump around. Yeah. That's like nineties though. Fucking crisscross, <laughs> right? No, it's House of Pain. Oh fuck! <laughs> how how Irish are you? Really crisscross? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking Bud Light, so not that fucking Irish. That's um, why you got your pants on backwards tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. So before we finish, do you have anything coming up? Um, I do. I have something in development, but it's not at a point where there's anything to speak about. I have a really dope-ass screenplay. I'm speaking to producers, but no official attachments. Um, so, yeah. But I'm also working on a badass anthology. I could talk about that. Sure. Um, I'm writing a really cool anthology called Pilgrim Hill, and basically all the the previous films that you've seen of mine take place, and if you see Home Sweet Home also, you'll see that all those films take place in the fictitious town of Pilgrim Hill, and I want to write an anthology that basically brings together all these different fucked up things that happen in the town of Pilgrim Hill. So, And I want it to be like more of a traditional style anthology, like a creep show style where it's traditional wraparound and then three or four stories. I love that whole subgenre. Um, mm. Yeah, what I what I want to do, I want, I want to have the writing and direction pretty solid throughout. Like I think some anthologies are cool when they have like one writer-director does one story and another writer-director does another, and like that is cool. But what I feel like happens is you get this kind of mixed bag and then you get like one or two that are cool. Then you get one that's different. Maybe it's cool, but like I feel like you get an inconsistent tone. So I want to do like a very steady, even toned, like creep shows even throughout. You know what I mean? Like, so I really want to go for that. And uh, I think they were all written by Stephen King, right? Yeah. 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 And they're all directed by Romero. What is um, what is your favorite anthology of like the last 10 years? Favorite anthology of the last ten years? Uh, I'm probably gonna have to go with Trick or Treat. Yeah, that's my shit. You know what? You know what's better than that? What? All right, probably not better, but just as good. Chillerama. I love that movie. Chillerama is good. Really? That guy's from Long Island too, right? One of them, yeah. Chillerama. What? You don't fuck with Chillerama? Oh, I didn't like it even a little bit. Oh, I thought it was fun. I really didn't enjoy it at all. What did you not like about it? All of it. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it just didn't appeal to me. Interesting. Um, what about the that VHS guy did movies? Gutter balls too, right? No, that's Ryan Nicholson. Oh, yes, yes, yes. He did gutter balls. The VHS movies hanger. were cool. The second one, I haven't seen the third one. Garbage. The second one was way better than the first one, in my opinion. I give it to you. Yeah. Um, 
with two and three being the best. Yeah, they were they were cool. Um, didn't blow me away. I mean, Trick or Treat. Obviously, you're looking at like very indie films compared to a studio film. But even so, Trick or Treat just really amazing was perfection. I think so. Definitely. I still don't so get levels. how that movie didn't blow the fuck up. Get a big release. Well, it didn't. Yeah, so they perfect. just they chickened out and if didn't they put release that out it around Halloween. No, it was I know. so good. Oh. Yeah, it's what not about, a remake. That's what about uh, yeah. Tales of Halloween? I thought that was kind of. I haven't seen it yet. I didn't see that either. I'm gonna watch it this year. It's, it's on. It's on Netflix now, on Netflix, so I'm gonna yeah. watch it in Halloween. It was yeah, a I can't uh, it in October. Now. I mean, yeah, I there's like ten of them. I got rules. So, all right, cool. All right, yeah. we're done. So, um, I, I obviously pay attention to the um, the playlist that I make now yes. for on Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. So whatever music we talk about, definitely I, I just make a playlist, and you know, I guess awesome. you, you we'll listen try to, to the, post links to things on the uh, the Facebook page too. Yeah, so we're going to do 1985, and and next episode we're either going to have Joe Rubino from Tension Tension. um, or Frank from Suffocation. Nice. One of the two. That's going to happen. We're working on it. Yeah, those are the two. The dates, get them together, but yeah, that's what we're looking at. All right. Bye. Bye. Later. See you. Bye.